0: And welcome to the Indie Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Uh, normally on the main show, this is where they say they're taking the time machine back to 2001. But here on the Indies, uh, we are not awarded such such trust. Mostly because the conversation I had with Rory a while ago where I decided that I would take the time machine back to 1912 to prove my theory right that it wasn't the iceberg that sunk the Titanic. But really all the time travelers who went back in time to watch the iceberg sink the Titanic. Until we get over that. So we'll be staying here in 2021, looking back through the medium that is VHS back to 2001. And, uh, and it won't be just me alone. It will be my, my two good friends here joining me is of course the man himself. Mr. Billy Johnson. Billy, how are we doing? How are Hey, I'm good, folks. I'm looking forward to
1: talking about independent wrestling from 20 years ago, as always.
0: And, of course, the man to keep us all grounded, Mr. Daniel DeWitt. How are you doing,
2: Dan? Yeah. Oh, I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah, the way I see it with our, our access to, to the time machine, it's like... It's on your parents' drive, and we give them the keys to sort of sit in and pretend you can drive, but you don't actually go anywhere. You just sort of look in it, and it feels nice and stuff, and we can sort of glimmer back 20 years, but we can't go full-fledged in back there. Just have a, a look, look at it, and then jump back out of it before we get caught doing something too much.
0: It also means we have to, you know, do some research into all the stuff we do. Whereas all the guys, I can just make up what, what they want. We, we actually have to realise... Oh, did this match actually have any implications for anything? Um, <laughs> yeah, so if you if you know if, if you want if you want the guys who are coasting it, watch the main show. If you want the guys who are really putting the graft in, stay right here with the indie. Twenty years ago,
2: we're making some
0: noise over here, aren't we, lads? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's
2: been about work rate, and yeah, we're proving it.
0: On the subject of of really putting the research in, uh, who's got the news for us this month?
2: Right, So, Wrestle um, Express, a uh, company we've mentioned a few times, who are running a show in uh, Co- Coventry in October. Have now uh, had to pull RVD, as if you those um, uh, on the main sort of timeline know that he's now part of the, the WWF. So, finally, he won't be he's there, but uh, they have announced that Bam- Vampiro and Carino will will be there again. This is ongoing that will probably change another couple of times and every month we'll probably come back with more names coming in and out they've also uh, announced Conan this month as well oh uh, what was that, sorry they've
0: also announced Conan this month, this month as well
2: oh yes yeah there we go so yeah even more names and, and people coming in and they've also announced that uh, York Matthews of ECW or well, the late ECW run there will be in a uh, TLC match um, and on that show in, in October as you say, we'll, when we get to October, we'll see if we can bring that to you, but um not sure who will actually be on that show, because that seems to change every, every other week. If anyone actually shows up, I will be shocked, but well, there we go. Well, well, there go. well, by, by then it would have been a good few months, well, over six months since, since all the other you know, uh, main promotions in North America closed, so by then they might actually be wanting some money and wanting to travel and and all that other stuff, but who, who knows. Um, sticking with the, with, uh, in the UK, um, the Honky Tonk Man and Bushwackers were over on a on a tour, but that was cut short after just a few appearances uh, due to uh, low attendance numbers and then just not basically getting the money they were they were expecting. Uh they did make a, few, a little bit extra sort of selling merchandise and doing the, the Polaroid shots, but the promoter who booked the show was asking for um, a cut of said merchandise and Polaroids to which the Hong Hongtop Man and Bushro simply said, no thank you. This is our, this is our money. And that was the end of that relationship. And yep, the, they were no longer booked for the show and then returned back to America. So no surprises there. I mean, um, you have to just kind of be on the, as much as I don't want to be on the side of the honky top man ever, it's kind of the right thing to do, really. He he was the one sort of doing the gimmick stuff, selling t-shirts and out for the photos and stuff. But the promoter then go, "Oh, can I have some of that money? Because we didn't make much on the tickets. It's a bit bit off." So yeah. Well, We're, on the other
0: side, on the other side of that though, it's the promoter's show. He's allowing, he's giving honky the merch, that table space to sell that stuff. It will just, it will be the same as any. Uh, market trader are giving a share, giving, you know, paying for their markets all. So it's, uh, there are yeah, two, there sides to this story.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, no, don't get me wrong, that, that's true. I guess, um, you'd have to suggest there'd be some sort of discussion beforehand about that, but, and then clearly that discussion was then changed when the, well, it sounds like the, the, that discussion was changed when the tomorrow wasn't getting enough out of the ticket sales, but that's kind of been, it seems like the problem going across not just the UK but the US in terms of uh, booking, with this all of, uh, available talent that's now come out of uh, the fall of WCW and ECW, uh, people booking shows with sort of named talent but then realising that there's no, not much of an interest for the shows and then drawing sort of low numbers. As they're going through the news and I saw uh, there was a Joey Lawler, uh road dog uh, main event of the sh- a show um, in, I think it's upstate New York or something, Only drawing like 300 odd people in a place that could hold closer to 4,000, so it's just down across the board. And if you look at in the news reports on TV numbers for for just in general, they seem to be down as well. So yeah, not a not a great place. And I think like if we go through our when we go through our matches and we can talk about like the crowds and stuff, there it's very varied in terms of the numbers, certainly.
0: Also, I think it doesn't help the pushback is they've been in the UK about six months at this point, so they are they're not so so they're, they're kind of losing the draw because by this point most people who want to see them probably would have seen them anyway. Yes. Um, so that is so you know they what little drawing power they had is probably starting to wane at this point.
2: Yeah, uh, certainly. Um... In, sort of, uh, sad news, uh, uh, this month sort of brings us the, the passing of both, uh, Bam Bam Terry Gordy and, uh, Bertha Faye. Um, Bam Bam Terry Gordy was, uh, one of the original, uh, free bird memory serves in, well, not just world class, world class championship wrestling, but just most of the eight, most, most southern promotions in the eighties and then had a very brief run in the WWF and, uh, and other places. And then there was also big in, in Japan as well with um, someone who we're going to see later as uh, Steve Williams. Um, and then yeah, but Bertha Fay, um, what uh, wrestled in the WWF through in '95, as said. But Bertha Fay, um, did Ronda sing her name previously? Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, yes. yeah that's correct. Yeah, well, the, uh, again the, the, on the uh, on the American Indies and yeah. I think Japan as well. Um, so yeah two two sort of uh sizable losses in terms of being these um Japan scenes and t- um and both young and unfortunately I think as our time goes on through these these um shows we may ha- we're going to get to that period where we're probably reporting on two or three of these people like this every month sadly
1: it's, it's it is a shame of what happened to Terry Gordy you know um incredibly talented big lad could move like a, a light heavyweight. You know, I've seen lots of his stuff from world class. And he tore it up down there. And uh, you know, going to Japan as well, tag team with Dr. Death, Steve Williams. A match with the Steiner brothers. At, I think it was Beach Blast 92. It was around that. And rant, it's a shame what happened. Um, you know, liked a bit of the old... Uh, White powder did. It, yeah,
2: it was a sort of fashionable thing, unfortunately, wasn't it? And yeah, as, as I Peyton, said, like, it,
1: brain basically died on him, didn't he? And he went into a coma, and, and when he came out, he was never the same again. I've seen some of his matches with Cactus Jack in IWA in Japan. He was the Executioner in the Fed. Again, just, he just—he was never the same after what happened to him, and it was a, a sad tale. And like you said, there, I think we're gonna, unfortunately, going to be covering a few more of these as uh, time goes on.
2: Um, elsewhere in the news, it wasn't got too much else going. On. I, I, most of what was being covered in the news is upcoming shows that are. Being planned and stuff, I think, uh, was it, we went, I think we May mentioned it last month or so, but yeah, Jacques Rousseau is still pushing forward with his big show, big, uh, event in Montreal. No real important answer for that, but I mean, who can he really draw upon? We'll see. And again, who he draws upon and then who actually shows up is, yeah, is the roll of the dice. And also, um, there's a, like, King of the Indies show with um, both Nick Bockwinkle and um, Bobby Heenan. So, I mean, if we can find any footage of that, that might be somewhat of interest.
1: Yeah, the King of the Indies was uh, run by um, Roland. He was in uh, Beyond the Mat. Oh yeah, it's A W. And um, yeah, the King of the Indies is an infamous tournament um, that will coming up in October. Uh, we're going to be reviewing. Uh, Loki and Brian Danielson today Now that will make the finals of the King of the Indies And uh, this is The match that we'll be watching today Is definitely a a dry run For what they would achieve um, Out for APW At the King of the Indies show It's uh, a very famous one And uh, yeah I'm looking forward to Getting to there Well
2: there there we go We're only in July and we're already promoting uh, October show so there we go much like many of the bookers we're seeing in the news, we're promoting shows way ahead of time, and we hope we can get the talent to come along and <laughs> and report it. But there we go. Um, else Let's was get news. Stevie Ray on the phone. It'll sort us out. Oh, well, there we go. Sorted. Um, did anyone else have any other points in the news they wanted to cover? Uh,
0: um, I mean, there's a promotion up in Northamptonshire who are having um, a show in the in the middle of August that's going to be broadcast on uh, a little known t- cable channel called NTV? But every promotion seems to be having just small TV spots cro- cropping up now. They um, they're going to be bringing in Chili Willy and CW Anderson of ECW fame. Um, but I mean, in the state, CZW has just picked up a, a small TV deal, which is basically seen as having you know, good, solid talent and terrible production, but I'm finding that with with a lot of the, the indie stuff we're watching.
2: It, it's yeah. like we've kind of gone in reverse and we're sort of back to the sort of 80s and, and before in terms of territories and local TV spots that these indies are coming up and going on their, their local TVs in the hope that then they get syndicated or or whatever, um, but yeah, it's it's a very really weird time. as you say that, yeah, as long as they can get some sort of TV deal, the, the indies seem to be, or some indie companies like CCW uh, seem to be doing a bit of a bit of business. But yeah, there we go. Well, well, CCW well, going to be well, doing a well, fake well,
1: TV TV yeah. tapings. Uh, it's going to cause a bit of a an issue going forward for them because. They're going to piss off the Delaware State Athletic Commission and get themselves into all kinds of bother. Um, I believe it was last month they already upset the Athletic Commission, already, with their deathmatch and extreme style wrestling. And, uh, yeah, we'll all go downhill with that fake UTV uh, pilot. There's all good, good fun and games that will be coming up,
0: coming down in the future with that stuff. Yes. Yeah. The whole indie T V thing, there where you mentioned about the how the territories used to do the local TV. The local TV for territories was always done in studio, so it was always done with the best um with the best gear they had available to them. The a lot of the indie stuff that's coming out of the minute that I can't say the same for. I mean I've mentioned it I'm it's probably gonna be a recurring thing on this show, at least until LQW comes about in 2005, but people aren't recording the audio from the mic separately. Um, And it's a big issue with the early Ring of Honor shows. So the PA system doesn't get picked up by the cameras as well as they'd like it to. Um, And it's just small things like that that just kind of cripple your chances of expanding your TV. And if you don't have good TV, you almost might as well have no TV. Just ask. Paul Heyman, he's uh, he's certainly well aware of that fact, given his history with uh, with his TNN slot.
2: Yeah, that's true, isn't it? It's, it's a case of rather than TV companies giving uh, promotions money to be on TV, it's a case of people paying to be on TV, and then by spending the money to get on TV you don't have the money for the production. So it's just like I say they're basically gambling on going on TV and hoping that they get picked up and someone has some interest in them. They get an actual, a TV deal that goes a bit further than their state or, or general area.
0: Yeah.
2: Cool. Uh, well, I think that that covers it for the news in, in July, 2001. Um, Shall we move on to our first lot of matches? Yes. Uh, let me
0: just bring up the matches here. So uh, first up, we are going, we are going over to the Orient with a match from uh, Mr. Billy Johnson. Billy, what you got for us?
3: Tonight in the Budokan, Triple Crown match against Muta, Steve Williams, the All Japan Triple Crown belt is coming home to all Japan. Muta, prepare
1: yourself. Well, yeah, obviously, Rory was well keen on me picking this one. Uh, Keiji Mutu up against Dr. Death Steve Williams. Uh, Muta has obviously been associated strongly with New Japan for many years. And uh, I believe it was two months ago, he became a... Uh, freelancer, and he's gone over to All Japan. He's going to be working some New Japan dates as well going forward, but he's not full-time contracted. It was seen as quite a big coup for All Japan to be able to get Muta in, and uh, last month he came in, one of his first matches was obviously defeating uh, Tenru for the All Japan Triple Crown Championship, which is their heavyweight title. And uh, this was his first big defense of the title against Dr. Death, Steve Williams, who's been in, uh, all Japan for many years now at this point on and off coming over for tours. And this was uh, a part of the summer vacation tour. It was the final night of the tour. And it was in the, um, very famous Budokon building, uh, in Tokyo, Japan, which, uh, roughly seats about 20,000, uh, Obviously, with Japan, you're not always going to get a a clear indication on how many people were drawn. But from what I have here, it was a sellout, but it probably wasn't. So, into the match. Uh, We're off to a flying start. As you can tell, this video that was uploaded to Dailymotion is a VHS rip of a live recording of the show for Goya as uh, after the ring introductions we cut to a Japanese drinks commercial
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, when we return to the belt it's in the early stages as Dr. Death has control over Muto with uh, military press Dr. Get, Dr. Death begins working over Muta with some punches but Muto battles back with a dragon screw leg whip not once but twice Moota goes for a, a funk spinning toehold. But Williams powers out. But Moota bounces back with a shining wizard. But obviously, um, if you've followed Moota's career, you will know that the man has had many knee surgeries over the year. So immediately, his legendary bad knees, which have been surgically repaired, uh, start to cause him bother. And he's already selling the effects of his own move. So he's not able to get the pin or the advantage over Williams. Uh, he rolls to the outside and then tries to pull himself back up to the apron. By now, Doctor Death has recovered from Muta's Shining Wizard, which is his uh, obviously one of his furnishers And uh, Doctor Death gives uh, Muta a chop block, and sends him back onto the floor. Doctor Death rolls Muta back into the ring and brings. Uh, And starts to work over the knee, but obviously uh, KG Mooter battles back. Mooter goes off the ropes, but stops in pain. Sorry, bounces off the ropes and stops in pain and falls over, selling the injured knee. I I did like this part of the match, but it was a good idea. It was a good throwback to previous stuff that has happened in Mooter's many battles before. And Dr. Death immediately zeroes in on the injury and applies a half-crab. Muta refuses to give up, so Dr. Death lets go of the hold and nails Muta with a German suplex for a near fall. Crowd wasn't quite there for that one, but they'll certainly pick up for it later on. Williams picks up Muta and goes for a powerbomb, but Muta counts it into a Hunakarana for a two count. That got a nice little pop. Dr. Death pops back up and nails Muta with a lariat, and then an explosive backdrop. Doctor Death taunts Muta, who rolls to the outside, back in the ring. Doctor Death poses and uh, screams "fuck you" a lot at the camera and Muta. (laughs) And uh, back on the outside, uh, Doctor Death gives K.G. Muta a lovely backdrop onto the concrete, because this is all Japan and we do dangerous spots on concrete. That's what we've been doing for years. Back in the ring, both men flip each other the bird again. And Dr. Death nails Muta with a Tiger Driver, but only gets a near fall over Muta. Crowd was up for that one. Five men trade chops and kicks. Then Muta goes for his moonsault, but obviously his knee is hurting still. And uh, in the process, is late to cover Dr. Death yet again and only gets a two count on the good doctor. Muta then goes up top for a second moonsault but Dr. Death cuts him off and brings him crashing down to earth with a backdrop. The crowd comes alive, sensing something big is about to happen, so Dr. Death splashes Muta in the corner and gives him an awkward-looking belly-to-belly suplex for a two-count. crowd sort of died because they knew that they had fucked up, but, you know, this isn't America, so they're not going to tell you that they fucked up, so they just go a little bit silent. Dr. Death nails Muta with a... Two back to back German suplexes for a near fall. The Buddha King comes alive once again. Chanting for Outsider Muta, which was a bit bizarre considering Muta is technically supposed to be playing the heel in All Japan, but the crowd was definitely behind him because they don't want this dirty Gaijin to win. Dr. Death goes for another backdrop, but Muta counters it in midair with a forearm smash. Crashes down on top of Dr. Death for a near fall. Out of nowhere, Mooter nails Williams with a Shining Wizard, but doesn't get all of it because, of course, the knee is uh, killing him at this point and he's selling it like crazy. Goes for another, but Williams catches him and tosses the champ away. Mooter is in tremendous pain selling his knee once again. Dr. Death goes for a German, but Mooter lands on his feet somehow. And again, back to selling the knee and straight into a drop kick on Dr. Death's knee. Williams is stunned for a second as Mooter runs at Dr. Death and nails him with a Shining Wizard for a near fall. So that was like the fifth or sixth Shining Wizard and Mooter's obviously in a hell of a lot of pain in the crowd. they out of the big ooh, so you know the Japanese crowd is definitely intrigued in this one. Muta goes for another, but Williams backs out of it, so Mooter slams Williams. Muta seems out of ideas. He generally... Didn't seem he knew what to do on how to defeat Doctor Death here, so it goes back to Shining Wizard again for another near fall. we at this point is selling the shit out of the knee, but now's Doctor Death with another Shining Wizard, so that's like number eight there. Bit overkill, but I kind of get what he's going for. This time it sort of gets the free count, even though it seemed like uh, Doctor Death pulled a Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania six and kicked out of kicked out free, which puzzles some of the crowd so overall I'm a massive New Japan fan All Japan fan obviously um, this match steeped in history and uh, I really liked the fact that Muta kept selling the knee but I didn't like the fact that he kept going for the Shining Wizard kind of get it from a ring psychology point that he was going to keep hitting the move regardless because he knew that would beat Dr. Death Williams, but this is a a tremendous match. Well worth going your way out for to find it, and um, it did great job for Dr. Death Steve Williams after what happened to him in the US in 98-99 with WWF and WCW, and um, it's good to see the old Dr. Death back as well, and um, yeah, if this is uh, Keiji Mutu's All Japan, then certainly looking forward to what we've got coming up for us in the future. Uh, how about you, Adam? Dan, what, what did
0: you think of it? Um, I mean, when it comes to most things, I've quite westernised tastes, so I, I'm i not a big fan of a lot of Japanese stuff. You know, uh, com- like Marvel Comics to manga stuff and, uh, you know, the same with music stuff. So and it's the same with the wrestling. Um, I I appreciate that they treat it a lot more like a sport, mostly. Um, some, some of the stuff just doesn't appeal. But that doesn't mean I can't appreciate when you know stuff is done really well. And watching like this match here, I know two thousand one uh, for Moose. He was it was. One of his better years, from what I know, and it's just weird thinking—you know—less than a year ago, I was, I was being forced to sit through the stuff he was doing with the Dark Carnival in WCW, and less than a year later, this is the sort of stuff he's producing. It's, it's, it's so night and day. So, it's, it's like he's a different person. He's, he's certainly something's re-energized him right here. You can see that, and Doctor Death, he's, he's looking. Really good. Too. I've not seen a lot of like his early '90s and '80s stuff, but I do remember him as the one-legged man, uh, one-legged man in uh, the ass-kicking competition that was a brawl for all. And yeah, he's he certainly busted his ass to try and to try and make people forget about that shit show here. So yeah, it was really good sort of stuff. And I just want to say, people, you know comment you made about the cement floor those mats that go around ringside they're more the aesthetic they really do not if you're getting dropped on the floor on those mats it still hurts as much people just don't think it hurts as much because they think ah oh, it's padding it's really really not the flimsiest of padding should we say
1: well,
0: it, it's, 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 just... it's, it's the mats you had on, on school gym floors they were fine for sort of rolling around on gymnastics but if you fall over on them those they still hurt uh,
2: uh, for me it's, it's good to see uh, Dr. Death back in a back doing what he should be doing and we mentioned uh, him with uh, Terry Gordy earlier and that's sort of my sort of early sort of memories of him at and stuff and then yeah then seeing him sort of well the plan the, the brawl plan didn't work and then he was just uh a, kind of a lackey in, in an ongoing joke in WCW really so yeah nice to see him back kind of I guess sort of, Japan's basically his, his sort of true home in terms of being in the ring and yeah really good um I agree with kind of what you were saying earlier uh Billy about the uh infinite training wizards it's kind of like someone playing a computer game who figures out how to do one move but doesn't figure out the rest of the moveset so just sticks with what they know and keeps on going with it eventually it does pay off but but yeah it, it's in a little little bit uh, much going to it all the time and yeah i think quite didn't really like the kicking out at 3.01 that at the end there to, it can It confused the crowd and it kind of annoyed me a little bit, but overall, still worth, still generally a really good match worth seeing. Lots of sort of of hard hitting, strong style kind of moves that uh, you expect to have from uh, Steve Williams' uh, Muto match. So yeah, good, good pick.
0: So next up, we are going north of the border, as it were. We're going up, uh, up to Canada. With a with a pick from yourself, Dan. So, what you got for us?
2: Yes. So, um well, from Japan to the east coast of Canada, and to real action wrestling, and in Rustico, Prince Edward Island, did a little bit of research on on the town itself. And town is a is a big place for it. It's basically village. Uh, population seems to be around about. 600 or so, and of that I'd suggest, well, a good, a decent percentage were at that, at this show, but that doesn't say much. As uh, the match I'm bringing to you is, uh, Attitude Era star, in as many vertical commas as you can put into it, Kurgan versus Buddy Lane. So yes, not quite the Tony Atlas barbarian from last month, but I still found uh, a, a legend for you.
1: A legend in indeed. Dan.
0: I, well, to be fair, I was going to cover him in this promotion for the first show, but I had an aversion to it for some reason. Um, uh,
2: maybe uh, I have a, a stronger stomach, or it's just been now. It's been a couple of months. But I'm and the the Atlas Barbarian thing set me up, so now I'm, I'm sort of steeled to finding matches such as this. So
1: basically, you're just gonna. Torture me and Adam for the remainder of this podcast in fighting shit matches. Cheers, Dan.
2: Well, well, <laughs> yeah, like you've got to have you. You can't just all have nice sweets and and cakes and stuff. You've got to have your vegetables and your greens. Sometimes you've got to sometimes just have some of the some of the bad stuff to go with the good stuff, and it makes those good matches even better. So, uh,
1: th- this isn't vegetables. This is a shit sandwich. You, you know, you served <laughs> it up to us.
2: Well, well, we'll see. It maybe maybe my my uh, review will will talk you around.
1: <laughs> I doubt it, Dan. I very much doubt it.
2: <laughs> but anyway, right. So, um an unsurprisingly, slow start at the start of the match. Kurgan stares and at the fans, shouting at them, sort of binging up sort of the heel roll. Um, Buddy Lane then tries a an elbow, but is muscled out of it, and Kurgan instantly goes into. Into a headlock and uh, sort of strong arming um, Buddy Lane. Uh, Lane manages to escape the headlock and into a hammerlock. So a bit of technical wrestling there, but Kurgan elbows out of it. Power slam by Kurgan and shouts out to the crowd again. Into the into the corner, uh, Kurgan whips Buddy Lane, rushes in, but Lane gets his feet up, jumping on the back of Kurgan for a sleeper, and but that doesn't last long. Kurgan backing into the corner, break the hold, then elbows, and now uh, an arm ringer um, by Lane. So yeah, body Lane, trying to keep this a bit technical if he can, but unfortunately that's reversed quite quickly into a big boot by Kurgan. Kur- corner stomped and a foot choke by Kurgan and shouting then at the referee, keeping this heel persona of his going. Kurgan picks up Lane, throws him into the corner, for a few elbows chops, and a standing foot choke, and big knees in the corner. Maybe Kurgan's watching uh, a Kevin Nash match. Did seem a little bit, um of the, of the, uh, one of the few moves that Nash's has, according to Mr. Cornette. Uh, Kurgan then with a, a corner splash. Throws lane down, but only gets a two. Lane managed to get it to the rope. This, uh, brings a fight back by Buddy Lane. Few punches to the sternum, but Kergan hits a headbutt and puts uh, body lane into a bear hug, which I thought could be could be the finish, but no. The arm only drops twice. Lane powers out of it and escapes with the classic tango claps to Kergan's head. Four arms by Lane and tries a sunset flip, but unfortunately that's then. Blocked and the sidewalk slam by Kergan for two. Elbow drop by Kurgan is missed and then that means Lane can throw Kirgan into the corner, a few tops and a ten punch spot. Whip across the other corner, trip and a elbow drop for just a one count for Lane. Then goes up to the top for a cross body caught by Kurgan. Doesn't go for the slam as Lane managed to fight it out, hits a few close lines, but third time gets caught by the claw and pinned for the three. Um, a kind of run-of-the-mill match, really. Um few little hopes whatsoever by Lane. I thought he looked decent did we could, I guess, with Kurgan. And um, it the match lasted about sort of, ten minutes, which for a Kurgan match I thought was longer than i probably have, have ever seen. And in all honesty, I didn't think it was that bad for a Kurgan match. I think I'm pretty sure the guys have covered far worse during his WWF run, if I'm being honest. How do you guys uh, think?
0: Is it bad? My takeaway from this match is Kurgan's poor footing when he put the headlock on. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: so,
0: just me then. But no, I sort of watched that in his legs. Especially for such a big guy, he's, where his legs are quite close together. It actually makes it, if he was to do that legitimately, it would make it quite easy just to knock him over. Um, but yeah, so this was a, so this was um, a house show. The, this promotion actually does have local TV, um, and Kurgan has just come off a feud with Bobby Roode, who he after like three or four matches he. Drop the title to him, and actually um, does lead to a main event program where Robbie Rude faces uh Joey Legend, who's just been released by the WWF, coming up very shortly. Which I actually am considering throwing out there in the next couple of months because those matches are floating around.
2: Yes, yeah, so I have noticed this, this, there is a decent amount of footage from this uh, real action wrestling. So yeah, I, I can definitely see them appearing. A few few times in the next few months, like I like, say with people like Joey Legend and and uh, Young Bobby Roode on their on their sort of car. So yeah, uh, be interesting to see those as and when we cover them. But yeah, for yeah, this what for this match, I thought well it, it's Kurgan. It's someone we recognise. How's he doing? And I thought he did what he was going. It didn't surprise anybody, but also I didn't think it. I honestly don't think it was the worst thing I've ever seen from
0: him. It was interesting how he was playing the heel because he is the biggest star they've got just by default. The fact he was on TV three years before this, um, and in fact, I believe when he was running with the title, he was the baby face against the heel Bobby Roode. So it's just interesting to to see that they've. That he sort of worked as a heel here. I don't know if maybe if Bobby Lane is local to these to to this place, or it's just the way it sort of, or it's just the way they sort of paired, paired off the rest of the card. They 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 had more baby faces or something, so they had. Yeah, I, I think it,
2: make, it makes it sense for a, a, a big guy, of like him to beat the to beat the heel really. Um, yeah. I, I, guess, uh, but then, uh, yes, as we know, now Bobby Roode saw sort of a natural heel, so I guess he was better pick for at the time. I guess that's kind of the one, the one sort of issue with, with, with what we're doing. We're jumping from promotion to promotion. We're out spending too much time looking at long, anything sort of long term. But, but yeah, I, I couldn't imagine Kirkham being anything but, but a heel. I know he had that. He was a, Facing
1: the oddities But I mean that, that was clearly Not really About him Can I say my piece now uh, Yes please go mm. I'm going to go Balls deep on this And I'm going to say I fucking hated this match <laughs> I really I, yeah, I'm, I'm a work weight guy I'm sorry I, That's just the way I am um, it, You could tell This was a health show match Because um, there were So many families Yeah they were making noise But they run through the most basics of spots. It was ten minutes of my life, Dan. I'll never get back. And I I, I really hated you for making me watch Barbarian versus Tony Atlas. But I could have a laugh over that match because of the, the bad selling and the fact that there was one fucking bump in it. But this, this was just the drizzling shits. Who is Buddy Lane? (laughs) <laughs> why was he so over with this crowd, I'll, I'll never understand it uh, Kurgan can fuck off um, <laughs> I, I don't ever want to see another Kurgan match in my entire life I really don't, I, I've, I've seen him in the Truth Commission and the Oddities and he gives me nightmares just thinking about the matches that I saw him in in the Fed, and this one here uh, like I said Dan you've outdone yourself again mate but if you keep taking 10 minutes from my life each and every month, me and you are going to have a serious problem, mate. Hang <laughs> uh, well,
2: on as, as a, a minute. Did you say you were work one... great guy?
0: You made me watch a death match last month. Oh, I know, I know.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> hmm. no, but this is what this project is all about, you know.
2: Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's great
1: it's... To, to watch these matches that I would have never taken any time in my life to watch, especially this Kurgan and Buddy Lane match and I, I, I sat there for 10 minutes and I was bored rigid and everything else but I've, I can say that I've seen that match and you know, someone else can say, well why did you spend 10 minutes of your life watching that? Well you know, I, I did, did it for this podcast and this is what I like about this podcast is that we're going to be able to find some weird and wonderful things and we're going to be make each other watch some stuff that we may not necessarily want to watch outside of our viewing that we would normally watch. And I got Adam to watch a death match last month, and I'm quite proud of my achievement for that. And Dan is going to continue to make us watch these god-awful matches. Thanks, Dan.
2: As I said, you've got to have a bit of variety. It's... I love watching some of the matches that you, you, you guys have picked, and we'll talk about those those later. They're, they're they're great, but if you had a whole card full of those, you'd, you'd it get bored. It. You, you, have yeah. to have a, you have to have a you have to have your your sort of leave your brain at the door type matches. And I left more
1: than my brain at the door watching this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we we spent more talking about. More I'm talking
0: about a Kurgan match than anyone should ever have to. So, <laughs> <a very laughs> okay, should move on to, to match number three. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I have a I have an aversion to watching any more Kurgan unless it's him in the Sherlock film or Deadpool two. Um, so yeah, ne- next up is is my match. So uh, I mentioned on the first episode of this podcast. The FWA title had been held up in a uh, in May of this year, and there was a title tournament that played out over six weeks on TV. And so, this month, uh, the episode that broadcast the final uh, aired, and we saw. Let me get. Just realised I have closed my notes down. I am I am on fire when it comes to preparing. Yeah for my section in this show, is it? I oh, don't know. But well, yeah, no, no. so...
1: We'll have you any other way, mate.
0: Ah. Uh, so, yeah. So, I am bringing you from the Pyramid Centre in Portsmouth, the FWA to- title tournament final with solid gold Scott Parker taking on the anarchist Doug Williams. Um. Yeah, like I said, the, um... The first six episodes of the FWA on my TV was featured a match. Each episode featured a match from this tournament. And now here we are with the final. Um, Doug Williams, of course, got a bye after defeating Jody Fleisch due to a no contest in a match elsewhere on the tournament bracket. Parker was was injured early in the tournament bracket, meaning... Uh, he's going into this match with, uh, busted up ribs. So to start off, start off the match, the commissioner, Victoria, is out with the belt to make the introductions. Uh, before she does that though, she cuts a scathing promo on the clap, on the crowd. It may not be the greatest promo ever, but compared to some of the promos that have featured on FWA TV up to this point, it's, it's really a breath of fresh air. I'm gonna be honest. She even delivers half of it to the hard camera, which some people in this promotion don't seem to have quite picked up on yet. Uh, she makes notes on the fact that everyone in the audience wants her, and given that I don't think I've seen a single woman in that crowd, that's not the worst assessment she could have made. So, Doug Williams attacks Scott Parker as he's coming down the aisle. Um, for some reason, Victoria seems to take great amount of Glee in announcing him as he does that. Um, In the ring, Doug goes to clothesline Parker out, but Parker's bent over and away, so it just snaps his neck on the top rope, you know, and it's a really cool looking spot. And if anyone can do that as safely as Doug, I'd I'd love to see that sort of cracked out a bit more often. Um, and what I said last month about Doug not being anarchist, the way the jump starts this match, he's he's swaying me to, to overlook what I said last month. So, uh, Back in, Williams bores Parker with a back elbow and knee drops the injured rib before picking him up and pouring him with another back elbow. Uh, he slaps on a bow and arrow hole and the crowd are chanting for Parker. Doug then releases the hold and just starts stomping away at the ribs some more. Uh, a whip to the buckle makes sense for the first match I've, uh, done play by play for as it works over the ribs some more. Uh, Parker ducks a corner splash though. Parker tries to work over Doug in the corner but a kick to the ribs just stops that plan abdominal stretch doesn't get a submission so Doug smoothly transitions into a sit out powerbomb instead. A weak kick out there but the fans are a really willing Parker on just here Doug uses Parker's rib tape to, to choke him and, and then he uses the ropes and it's a couple of running knees and puts him in the tree of woe uh, Doug throws him out of the ring and the, the sound of Parker hitting the barricade is audible under the booing of the crowd it's I, I, I complain about the audio, but sometimes it just catches it just right, even, even still. Chair shot from Williams, but apparently it's been stated at the start that if this match is to end in a DQ, the title will be held up and the match will be redone the next week. So the ref is trying to give them some leeway right here. Back in Williams' hit to Lion Salts, your reaction to hearing that is probably the same as mine typing it. Um, is there anything that Williams can't do in the ring? Apparently it's hit three lion salts in a row because after two two counts, Parker does get the knees up on the third lion salt. So. Um, but yeah, the unpredictable side of this match, again I'm really starting to feel the anarchist side of, of Doug Williams here. So Parker battles back but his shoulder meets the, uh, the ring post on a quarter charge and Williams takes his advantage with a backbreaker. Uh, doesn't even bother making a cover though, because he's, he's just happy watching Parker suffer. Um Parker's valet Angel is on the apron, so Williams, uh, wraps her up in a lip lock, but she pushes him, and Parker trips him up in a schoolboy. Sadly, only for a two count. Body slam on Parker sets something up for the top, but he, but we don't find out what, as Scott cuts him off and just hits a superflex, uh, sick, hits a superplex, Get my teeth in at this point. Even with the bad ribs, he still manages to get a two count on Doug Williams for that. Parker ducks a, a clothesline, but turns straight around into the Revolution DDT, and that is all. wrote. the Pyro goes off, and the announcements are made. Alex Shane, who Parker beat to advance uh, from the semi-finals, comes out to congratulate Williams for flattening Parker and putting the boots to him. After a one-night stand from Shane and a leg drop. From Doug Williams, Parker gets dumped out on the floor. Williams and Shane then get chatted, uh, then get flattened by Guy Thunder, who who Shane beat uh, had beaten down by a security team on a previous episode after he rejected his invitation to, to become part of his little entourage. And that is how the show goes off the air. And they then take a couple of weeks break while they edit up some more episodes, which uh, the first of which I'll be covering. Um, on the next episode. Uh, I mean, this, this is, this is an interesting finish to the match, just cause, cause h- historically the way the FWA goes from here, um a year or so later, the big rivalry is Williams and Shane, so it's odd seeing them paired up here. Also, uh, Scott Parker kind of just come out of the program with Alex Shane, and the next time we see the two interact really is when uh, Shane flips face and Scott, um, Parker flips heel to become part of the family. And there's a big cult thing which um features on the FWA versus Ring of Honor show that I'm sure we'll get a mention in a future episode. So yeah, it's, it's also uh, Scott Parker was coming in as a heel here. So this match essentially turned him babyfaces. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's just a great sort of tournament final, you know, with your babyface, who's had to battle from, you know, from underneath with your heel, who's had an easy ride due to a buy. It's kind of like if King of the Ring was done with people you actually cared about. The uh, King of the Ring, nineteen ninety-five, is of course. So, what, what did you guys think, sir? I Me,
2: mean, uh, I yeah, I enjoyed it. It was it was a good way to sort of. And of the top, you could tell it was a sort of a final, the, the way the sort of the crowd were into it. They'd clearly been watching them well, progress through the tournament and, and then, yeah, have this built to a final. That, the point when they mentioned about if it's a DQ, it will go into, it'll be redone next week. That sort of got my sort of dandruff of a bit. I'll know, oh, is that what they're going to do? You know, like how time limit draws are often very much telegraphed by the commentators at times. But yeah, luckily we did actually get a result, and yeah, it's a good match, and good to see um, Doug Williams back then. I'm pretty well reasonably new to sort of watching Doug Williams matches, only for the past sort of ten years or so. So seeing him looking to, in a sort of younger, sort of state sort of a, in the, like the, was it the anarchist um, sort of gimmick at this time, it's a, bit, a little bit different, but you can still see that. Um, the quality there and the fact that, yeah, he's not really changed too much over the years. He's got very sort of savvy sort of, in-ring and plays the plays that sort of his role very well. But yeah, uh, the other, the other guy in the match I hadn't really heard too much of, but yeah, thought he was really good. And yeah, glad that we're going to be going back to FWA from time to time, if not most months. I have not
1: really seen much of Scotty Parker so um maybe he changed his name went under a hood, got a different gimmick I, I'm not hundred percent sure Adam maybe you could fill me in on that
0: um off offhand the, I mean he's pretty much consistently through the F, through the early days of the FWA up until uh, the closure in 2007 he's pretty much there um the, the only other big thing I know him for is he's in uh, the group, in um, Greg Lambert's group, The uh, group Family, yeah. crops up, uh, crops up in the mid two thousands. He's he's one of the guys in that.
1: Okay, um, I always thought well, that was like Paul Travel and uh, Raji Ghosh that were just in that group. Yeah, um, but, but, uh,
0: was like, <laughs> but Scott Parker's in as well. So when, like I said, when they do the FWA um, ROH show, the, foot, right. the first one, Scott Parker's in. Uh, in that tag match, the All-FWA, the only All-FWA match on that card.
1: OK. I, 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 the name was... I was drawing a blank on the name, but, yeah, you put in a good performance here, and, you know, you're in there with Doug Williams, you're probably going to have a good match anyway. For a British television wrestling match, pretty half-decent, and, uh, obviously, they decided to put the belt on the wrong... on the right guy, in Doug. So, yeah... Um, going forward. Let's see what else we at the FWA bring up. I'm pretty familiar with their stuff from late 2002 onwards. So, yeah, this is all like a, kind of a learning curve for me as well because I, I yeah. didn't know about it at all. I, I have really read about it. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, also around this time Douglas, I uh, picks up Brian Dixon's all-star heavyweight title. We don't, unfortunately don't have the Date that it was won, but it would be around the same time. So, um, at the, at this point, Doug Williams, certainly the man when it comes to UK wrestling, because he holds what are arguably the two top titles in the country at that point. So, yeah, he's he's they're certainly stra- strapping a rocket rocket to him right at this point.
1: And you know, this is why it gets him a lot of buzz on the internet at the time as well, and this will lead to obviously that shot at the King of the Indies. It goes over to America and then it comes over to R H later on. Yeah, two thousand and two. Um, so yeah, no good. Good find here, Adam. Um, I haven't really watched, like I said, much from FWA from two thousand and one. And but no, thankfully you're here and you're giving us a lot of two thousand and one stuff to watch, and it's uh, all fresh new stuff for me. So
0: good Not stuff, real. Adam. Well, the old phrase, if you've not seen it, it's new to you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, good point, yeah. So, on to our next match, and there's another body who's turned up in the studio, which means two things have just happened. One, Billy Johnson is born in a barn because he left the studio door open. I mean, seriously, Billy. All the things we have in the studio, and anyone can just walk in and take them. We don't want to give away the secrets to the time machine, or who was driving the Hummer in WCW that summer, or... You know, like the really important things, like what happened to the body of Bob Collins. Um, it also means this, this episode of the podcast is being taken to the extreme because the man who's just walked in is, is our ECW analyst, Mr. Chris Lacey. How are we doing, Mr. Lacey?
4: Wonderful, lads. It is uh, quite novel to be the first of the regular guys uh, to make the little uh, jaunt over here to the weird and wonderful that is the indies
0: well, you know these ECW shows are, they, they do crop up quite a lot so um, doors always open for you, my friend. So uh, yeah, if you want to just uh, just go straight into it with with the show details and yeah I'. So,
4: so the reason I am here is there was a slightly special ECW reunion show. Um, taking place the night before ECW turn up in the Fed. Surprisingly enough, only one of the people on this show turns up in the Fed, but you know it's the heart and soul of ECW. Um, this show was in Buffalo, New York, on a speedway track with buses as an entranceway. It's as Tim pot as you can imagine, fitting ECW, especially in the arse end. Of the, uh, the run that it had. Um, people on the card, um, which we're not watching the matches of, um, include the likes of the wonderful Chilly Willy, uh, the not-so-wonderful not Tom Marquez, Nova, <laughs> Chetty, Mikey, Swinger, Balls, Jack Victory, Doring Roadkill, the FBI, Sabu, Angel, who fuck knows why he even kept getting jobs, but we are here for the main event which sees cw anderson with louis dangerously going against the to be on raw the next night toby dreamer with francine so the match if you can call it that <laughs> um sees louis as i said coming out with cw dreamer comes out with francine to rick flair's music of all things I was hoping, you know, first time in ages to have ECW that isn't on the network. We'd get the proper music and I'd get some, you know, man in a box. And I didn't. <laughs> so they start with collar and elbows and Tommy hits a hip toss. Francine gets in the ring and wants him a CW. There's a test of strength and Francine grabs his nuts. Tommy then hits a punch. So CW rolls out. Louis comes in and wants a test of strength against Tommy. again, shenanigans. Tommy goes for the low blow and gets a sock out of Louis' trousers and does Socko. CW then wants to have some amateur wrestling. This just turns into silliness and gay jokes about mounting each other and riding each other. We then get Tommy hitting a Russian leg sweep. CW then back outside Tommy follows using a chair and a beer to someone that he grabs off someone into the head grabs the ring bell and hits it into CW's nuts back in the ring C Dub hits a super kick and boots arm breaker a chair sitting armbar, drop toe hold onto the chair which gets a two they exchange chops CW hits the wheelbarrow suplex that gets a two but misses the follow up corner splash This sees Tommy hits the basement dropkick tree of Woe with a chair. Francine in with a low blow to Louis and then gives him the Bronco Buster. Tommy hits DDT that gets a two. CW with a spine buster for two. And then Tommy hits the spagoli driver for the win. This was a twenty odd minute match with fifteen minutes of fucking around. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I I was looking at the timer on the on the video, thinking twenty minutes. Oh, this, this is gonna be pretty decent. And then it's like, oh, oh, no, no, it's not. It's it's, it's gonna go on and, on and on, and on and on and on and on. And yeah, fun. But wow, that was that was an interesting way to end the show.
4: So this this stinks of house show. You you get these in the Fed where you know neither of them actually want to break an effort. They've got time to kill. Let's fuck about. The fans are going to go happy because they're seeing the stars. But it's just it just stinks of fucking house show shenanigans and a good way to kill time. And obviously Tommy, at this point, it wasn't known that he was obviously going to be on Raw the next night to anyone else but him. Um, easy way to be in the ring for a time period but not break a sweat or do anything that's actually going to mean that you can't turn up and get your big payday the next day.
0: To be fair, the first three months Tommy Dream was running the WWF, he didn't uh, exactly break a sweat in the ring from what I remember either. He was there. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he's in the brawls.
4: But um, he, in the first month, obviously I've just done the, the July for the main show, he doesn't have a match on there. Yeah, the only real sort of thing of note is obviously he's part of the the rundown with RVD. He doesn't even get a match at um, Invasion. But I think he sort of he, he comes and goes. You see bits of him, but yeah, he's, he was never the forefront of Team ECW, WCW. Mm.
1: Long uh, live your lights. That's all I have to say to all of that. But <laughs> no, no, it was. It was a run, uh, run-of-the-mill L-show match, like you said, Chris. You know, they, they didn't really put much effort in, but then they didn't really need to. The crowd was in the palm of their hands. And, yeah, uh, yeah Tommy's... Speaking uh, they, of the They crowd. did a pretty good job. So, yeah, good... Okay. Um, I wouldn't recommend watching any of the rest of the card. That's for damn sure. Like, I, I started from Mikey Rex match onwards, and it's all, all fucking downhill from there. Um, yeah, so... Thanks for putting this on, Rob Fernstein. You're the, well, I was going to say you're the man, but I'm, no, I'm definitely not going to say that about you.
3: <laughs> it, it,
4: it's one of those, obviously, it served a purpose. Obviously, it was, if you're thinking, what's an easy way to get people into the racetrack stadium, yes. whatever it was, obviously, because it's all fan cam, you don't really see how the it's set out. Um, only watched this match I didn't see the whole thing but it doesn't look like they had a great deal of people there I would no, probably was top a, out at, lot of- a, a thousand at the most
0: no I don't think it was even close to that you, I watched I watched a few of the matches and you saw some like them going around the back of the crowd and there was an awful lot of empty seats you know, I think the crowd only went like four or five rows deep that were fully that people in those
1: bleachers were pretty damn empty as well. So, yeah, well, I'd probably I'd say Chris was being very fair by saying a thousand people. I'd have said at least two fifty at least. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's one of the obviously I know that in the future, there's a couple of shows at like Elks Lodge that are done as yeah. ECW reunion things. Um, and they obviously get they fill out Elks Lodge, which is only sort of seven fifty to a thousand people. But it looks better in an inside thing than this weird yeah. racetrack thing. It, it doesn't it doesn't work and it doesn't make it look good.
0: Yeah, it, that, I, I don't really care for outside. Ch- I've done a few in my time and there is it's like someone like the big sports centers. If you all the atmosphere just goes upwards and if there's nothing, if there's no sort of ceiling, it just goes completely into the air. Um, I mean the crowd here helped swing it, but um, it, if it had been a regular crowd, yeah, this would have just been there. but fortunately because it was like a couple of hundred ECw diehards it was it did keep help keep you into it a lot better.
4: Yeah, it's, it's one of those with with that I, I think they could have pretty much as as seen in this match just turned up. Come out, shout ECW and that would have been enough for, for the people that were there, because that's what they were there for. They were they were there for the the reminiscence of what has gone. Um obviously there was all the there was a couple of signs when they were doing the handicap around the, the front row of like bring back ECW and ECW will never die and all that sort of stuff. So these are obviously the hardened of hardened um ECW fans from that side of the country. Um, obviously if they'd have done it in Philly especially um, when you get something like Hardcore Heaven or not Hardcore Heaven um, the one they do just before
2: Homecoming yeah
4: yeah, Hardcore Homecoming obviously that fills out the ECW arena um, that's that's an awesome show to watch in a few years time um, and then obviously you've got the, the big one when they do one night stands there is obviously always going to be people there too that are going to are gonna turn up just because you put the name ECW on it and there is probably going to be a few of these sort of shows in the run until e- ECW turns up Yeah it's called Free <laughs> That just lives off the idea of being ECW or we've got a couple of ECW names on a show give us your money
0: Well we have that elsewhere on this show where Sabu and Carino have a match and I think I don't think I'm alone by saying it's head and shoulders above this match even with non-finish Wes Carino of course is going to be awesome King <laughs> of Old School Yeah. If, if you okay. want an awesome Carino thing um, coming next month there is uh the short-lived MECW promotion based in a bingo hall in Philadelphia run by a dodgy promoter whose checks always bounce and there is a vote there is a trade-off on the mic between Steve Carino and buff Bagwell that I think <laughs> I think I, th- I, I I think you may maybe we should bring you back for the, just <clears throat> just for that uh oh, buff buff
4: daddy and his uh Mom's sick note
0: in yeah. the ECW <laughs> arena
4: <laughs> oh Oh, I but that's uh, that, that's one that you might have to send me the link so I can watch it. I don't know, if, you know, if I'll be on the show for it, but definitely now feel the need to watch that. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I tracked it down this this afternoon, so I, I can send that to you after we finish taping. Yes,
4: <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, as I said it, it's one of those sort of shows that you said I think for the live people, it's it's more for the live experience than us. Watching it 20 years later going, oh, wasn't this a Matt classic? You know, these sort of shows are there for butts in seats at the time. Um, But yeah, cheers for, you know, going, look, there's an ECW show. Do you want to watch it? Um, And enjoy the rest of your journey into the weird and wonderful. Um, I expect more Tony Atlas. I expect more Barbarian. Um, I want, I want some weird, random guy from the seventies versus some up and coming kid, and just clusterfuck matches. That's what we need. Weird and wonderful, please, boys.
0: Oh, we've got a great promo coming in the next month. I showed um, Billy watched it the other day, and he loved it. Um, oh yes, <laughs> great fun. Go on but, out of show. But just just knock off the Knights. We don't need them. That's that's. Yeah, I, I don't think I think it's going to be a while before we, we see them again. Um, but anyway, um, actually, one, one thing I do want to say about the show is it, Did anyone find it weird that it was the Tommy Dreamer, CW Anderson was the main event, not like a more established. Is it just where I'm out of the loop with ECW? Was CW Anderson really that sort of level? Or is it just they couldn't get?
4: The the final feud Tommy was having at the end and the last pay-per-view match Tommy had on um, the last pay-per-view was against CW. They were having a feud at the time. Um, You look at most of this card, they are pretty much with who they were at, at the time, other than obviously Sabu, because Sabu wasn't even in ECW at the time. But Mikey was, it was Mikey and Tajiri versus Swinger and um, Simon Diamond was the sort of where they two were. Chetty and Nova had had their big breakup angle at the end of ECW and those two were feuding. Doring and Roadkill had beat the FBI to win the tag team titles to be the last tag champions. So sort of everyone fits in with where they were at the close of ECW. so, yeah, CW was, it wasn't main event, you know, pushed there, but obviously cause that would be they would have the title match or the RVD match or something like that as the main event. But Tommy's feud was with CW at the at the end of ECW.
0: Ah, so, OK, that makes more more sense to me now, because I did sort of look at that and I was like, is that really the best But if, if there was... This shows how much attention us. This just shows the level of attention ECW was getting that the fan, such as myself, is not aware of the last few months.
4: Tells you how much you were listening to the podcast. Oh, I say, Chris. This <laughs> is all covered in much detail. <laughs>
3: uh,
0: okay, I. I, I don't. If, if no one else has has any. Anything else for that? Maybe we should move on before I stick my foot further down my throat. <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyway, thanks for coming on, Chris. It was nice to hear from you. Anything you want to plug? Uh, no, nothing
4: sort of, of consequence to my end. Obviously, the July show's already out. Listen to it, it's full of swears. And probably the only time in a wrestling podcast you will ever hear someone's, you know, talk about uh, how hard it is to have a wank with me talking as, as you do. <laughs> Gotta love Dell. Never Della. change now Never change. And if you enjoyed that all three of us are back for the October Fed show and uh, quiz show will be dropped at some point um, in the next sort of month uh, for the Anniversary because it is our birthday month. So, uh, yeah. Enjoy, boys, and uh, I shall listen to the rest when it comes out. Thank you, Chris. See
0: you, good buddy.
3: Tonight, Sabu, after two years, me and you are passed across. See, Sabu, everybody knows that you're a former ECW World Heavyweight Champion and you're a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Well, brother. I did it too! I was the ECW World Champion, and I'm the current NWA World Heavyweight Champion! You see, Sabu, I'm not dumb. I know you don't respect me. I know you think I'm not in your league. Well, Sabu, tonight I'm going to prove! I'm not only in your league, I'm going to step above! Sabu, I'm going to put your shoulders to the mat. I know. I know you think it's impossible. But, Sabu, look at me. I'm not the kid you remember in ECW. I'm not the mouthpiece for two other guys that are in the WWF anymore. Ha, ha, ha. I'm the king of old school, and I have one thing in mind, and that's you pinning your shoulders. It's almost like you have the belt tonight, Sabu. You know why? I have something to prove. And when I beat you, Sabu, I'm finally going to get your respect. And Juggernaut, Dr. Luther, stay out of it tonight, because the fans are paid to see it. Carino and Sabu, first time, <laughs> and trust me, I don't think this is going to be the last time.
0: Sabu, I'm taking you down. So, continuing the ECW theme that we got going on in this part of the program, Dan, I believe you got something for us.
2: Yeah, I've got something from ECCW, uh, Extreme Canadian Championship Wrestling, but it does involve two ECW alarm in uh, Steve Carino and uh, Sabu. Uh, as I mentioned in... Uh, the in, in the prologue and uh, back in in May the NWA title at this time bears interest to me and disappointingly couldn't find anything last month but now I'm back with uh, Steve Carino defending the title against Sabu in was in the promotion called ECCW which yeah extreme Canadian championship wrestling but and this match was held in Vancouver but bizarrely not that Vancouver this was in Vancouver Washington which is five and a half hours south of the other Vancouver. How Just bizarre, but there we go. And um, looking at the crowd, I'm not sure. It, it seems to be like in a, in a local sports hall. A uh, few hundred at best, but they seem to be in, into it. Because it made, probably because this is a, a match involving sort of two sort of known talent who have been in the business for a good number of years. Uh, match opens with, uh, punches from Sabu and then corner stomps and into a quick, very quick moonsault for, for a quick two. Camel clutch then by Sabu and, but that's, when Quino gets to the ropes. Sabu throws Quino to the outside, but Quino quickly darts back in and hits the baseball side of his own to Sabu. Uh, dueling chairs battle on the outside, quickly broken up. By Sabu with a kick to the gut and DZ onto a, onto a chair. We then go to a quick commercial break, which is thankfully sort of cut out of on this clip, so no drinks commercials from this one. Back back with the action and uh, Sabu is then uh, dives off barricade onto Corino and sets a table up on on the outside, but that's not yet yet used. They go back into the ring. Sabu then hits a top rope Hera for a two and then goes for another moonsault, but Quino trips Sabu and basically dropped whole, dropped him into, into a chair. Um, but Quino then on the offensive hits a, uh, hits a triple suplex for, uh, for a two and then another, uh, suplex for yet another two. Carino then gets that the table that was set up previously on the outside, bringing it in, but Sabu breaks, cuts him off with a few stomps, before Carino picks up a chair and just good old chair shot to the head. Sabu and drops him, but Sabu being Sabu, that doesn't last long. He's up almost before Carino at one point with some punches and another DDT. That after that DDT, Sabu then puts Carino onto the table onto the table and is going to to finish the match when uh, Doctor Luther and Juggernaut interfere, um, causing the referee to throw the match out and rule it a no contest. So, kind of classic NWA finish of no one going over. Champion stays strong as does the challenger. But Doctor Luther and Juggernaut, uh, <laughs> Doctor Luther, the, who was the ECCW champion at the time, so local champion gets his a bit of heat before Karina and Sabu work together to fight off sell tel- attackers. You think it's gonna be some sort of mutual oh with both from ECW respect type of thing. But no, Sabu then attacks Karina with a spike, busts him open and um then goes to the, the finish we thought we were gonna have of Karina being put on the table and a leg drop through said table by Sabu to end the show crowd with a a few sort of BS chance at the no contest finish kind of going home a little bit happier seeing the table spot in the end for I me mean, sort of uh, a, a decent sort of match not too heavy on the Sabu uh, weapon usage sort of somewhere in the middle between a, a good Korean match and a good Sabu match but yeah unfortunately we got a given a, a no contest 1980 style NWA match NWA finish where and no one really wins, and almost everyone loses. Thoughts?
1: Oh, yeah. um, Really not shocked that this match played out the way it did. At this point, Sabu was really not doing many jobs on the Indies, and his full-time job was with XPW at the time, so he wasn't going to be putting over Carino here, which is Probably what Carino needed, really. are you know, doing the job for, as Sabu is himself, you know, for the
2: NWA champion, he could have put over Steve here. It would have probably helped him. Well, and yeah, it's it, a bit of. It, it's Sabu, oh, Carino, sorry, he's only a, so a couple of months into this NWA title. And I, thought, I know the NWA title is not obviously what it was, but he's yes. still sort of presenting a, a recognizable brand and. As shown, like last month, there wasn't really anything worth showing or could, or I could find in terms of Korea you know, defending the title and sort of anywhere. This seems to be sort of first big title match, like, it was against a, another took sort of big name recognition, but yeah, to then just not get a definitive result in a pretty short match that yeah, only sort of seemed to serve the purpose of, I guess, putting over the local promotions champion as someone who's been attacked.
1: The NWA champion, I, yeah, I would, Chris Jericho's uh, mate, Doctor Luther.
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess there would there was going to be a follow up down the line of, of those two having a match. I'll have a look to see if that actually does happen.
0: But um, yeah, actually, it, they, they're kind of in the middle of a series of matches where Corino okay. defeat, defeating Doctor Luther. So you know he couldn't get a win over Sabu, but he could get a win over over the guy with the dodgy face paint. Yeah, yeah. I suppose my, my point being, really, more
1: than anything, was that I felt like Sabu should have really done the job here. I, not many people would have known about it at the time because the NWA wasn't exactly um big on the net or anything like that. But well, Let's say, what was there, maybe 400? And that, being polite, 400 people would have known about it. You know, Dave might have reported it in the newsletter. Possibly but is it really going to do much harm for Sabu if he puts over Steve Carino? You know, Steve was coming up strong in ECW towards the end. And obviously, Sabu wasn't there for the end. He'd already gone by the time Steve was getting his big, big push. So I just felt like Sabu should have done the honors here for Steve. And I, I feel you know, Steve could feel a bit half done by it. I, I, I seen a couple of Steve Carino shoots before and he's mentioned this match and uh, he's not exactly particularly happy with Sabu for not doing the job here or or putting him over in any way whatsoever because it really didn't make him look good and yeah it was more about the program with Dr. Luther and Carino so it's it's a bit of a shame but I hugged that Sabu in 2001 really
2: they could could have eaten they could have easily done it so that Dr. Luther inter- interferes, like trying to attack Karino, but messes up for whatever reason, accidentally hits Sabu with something yeah. or whatever, and then Karino sort of escapes with the win in a type, in a, in, in a way. And then that sort of, you can keep trying to get strong and keeps that, and then who knows, and then Sabu can then attack Luther afterwards so if he's just there to, for like the one shot or the, whatever, he can then Get a bit of a, 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 cheer from the crowd going home that like he's hacking the, the heel champion or whatever. And then you'd think that would be a happier end to, into a show. But, but yeah, I, I say I picked this sort of sight unseen sort of saw sort of Karina and Sabu thought that would be good. And yeah, there was a lot left on the table that was, wasn't used. It, it felt like.
0: I mean, the, the match itself was good quality. It's just the finish was great. Also, I'm going to. Pick up on this again. The the promo greeno stuff uh cut to the camera at the start. Is it really that hard to get like a boom or just attach a microphone to the camera? It, it sound like for, oh, I, I mean I know I, I don't always have the best microphone or quality, but I'm but this is a free podcast. I'm not trying to sell, trying to sell <laughs> this Right, it, I'm, I'm gonna try and get off this curve because I, it's it's gonna be a recurring thing. I feel, but yeah, because because the promo Steve Cut was a great, sort of heartfelt promo. You know, he, here he is. He's sort of worried that Sabu doesn't see him as an equal, despite the fact that they've been to the same places, they've got the same achievements, and this is his opportunity to prove himself. And you know. They look really good in the match, but yeah, I, it's it is really a shame about about the finish because I, I I did have a look uh, see if they did have any sort of rematch and even that I mean Steve won the rematch but even that wasn't a clean finish it was a DQ finish so yeah so I
3: don't know, I don't know
0: if any historians out there know if. Uh, Carino ever got his clean win, but
2: my guess would probably be no, or it will be much further down the line when there's probably not a title in the line or something. Yeah, and be, I don't know on the relationship uh, if it ever soured or anything like that, but maybe Carino and Jack Victory hooked up again, and then Jack Victory could cost Taboo the match, and this but this time Carino's the heel and Taboo's the face. I don't know, but yeah. It promised a bit. It was very decent, as you say, Adam, but the ending was just unfortunate.
1: All I'm going awesome. to say is it, that doesn't work for me, brother.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> also, you know, we just spoke about the ECW reunion show. What? Where was Carino on that? You know, he was, you know, they brought in the roster, the sort of roster that was there at the end of 2001, Corino was, hadn't left for WCW at that point. You know, why did they not bring him back? That, uh, I think that would have, you know, been a little bit of extra star power on a show that be uh, fed was kind of lacking in that department.
1: Well, Kid USA clearly needed the spot more than Steve Corino, obviously. You
0: know what, at, on that show, that match was far from the worst, so... Um, although, well, do anyone see Mikey and, en- uh, Mikey Whitbrook's entrance on that, on that show? Could it have been any more 2001? He comes out to disturb wearing leather trousers, a, a flame shirt, and a Triple H t shirt. <laughs> uh what, 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 all I'd say is,
1: what was, uh, Nova wearing? Jesus, it was like leather, leather pants in, um, a boiling hot. Weather, obviously the sun was shining. It's not, like, mate, you're you're not p you're not fucking a rock star, you're Nova. You can deal with it.
2: That was the thing towards the end of E C W wasn't it? It was supposed to be brand new as the soup like, cool Nova rather than the joke that he'd been for so long. But that link that g time to sort of go to fruition, so he's just carrying it on on the Indies I guess. Maybe we'll We'll see a Nova match in the next few months and see if he's got like dreads or wearing, I don't know, beads around his neck or something. So oh I god, was... I
0: hope. <laughs> oh, that's, that'll be, yeah, for the joys of the main show.
2: <laughs> yes, true.
0: Yeah, moving, moving away from, from ECW to, uh, well, I guess ECW were really the first WWE, uh, WWF developmentals. It's moving away to what at the time was their current one with OVW. It's time for our listeners choice match. We put the poll up on, on uh, Twitter. We mentioned it on the Facebook and you voted in your droves for this match. And I got to admit, I am kind of disappointed that we don't get to Talk about Jerry Lawler beating up a load of TV and radio presenters who so I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah,
2: I was trying, I was trying to sort of, along with my sort of that interest in the NWA title, my sort of darker interest is what, what's Jerry Lawler up to when he's not on WWF TV? And yeah, there's some weird things out there that we come across. This was one that just popped up. I thought, well, it's a battle royal. It'd be a bit of fun. But, but no, there is a definitely worthy winner
0: this one. Yes, so this is one of the few times That the you know, guy from Guardians of the Galaxy Faces that guy who didn't make it On the Minnesota Vikings football team We are seeing a pre-Deacon Batista Leviathan taking on Brock Lesnar uh, so this was, uh, on an OVW show. So this month, OVW had announced the start of their, uh, sort of working arrangement with the amusement park, uh, Six Flags in Kentucky. They'd run a number of shows, uh, there over the summer, the next few years until some instance on the Six Flag end meant that OVW, uh, Decided that that relationship was just was a no go anymore. And on the first two Six Flag shows in the summer of of uh, this of this year, year two thousand and one, there was no uh, just sort of throwing some matches out just just to see how they worked out because they they didn't know whether it was going to be a draw or not, whether it was going to be a long term thing. So it was just a case for some guys to get more experience doing different matches. So one program they ran from the first Six Flags show to the second Six Flags show was between these two, between Brock Lesnar and Dave Batista. And the match we're covering here is the match that happened between on the TV taping between the two Six Flags shows, build up to the final match, which was a no disqualification match. So, and this. Outside of OVW, this match only ever happened one time, and that was just after Brock won, uh, the Royal Rumble in, that'd be 2004, if I'm right. 2003, sorry. Yeah. So, in 2003, these two had a house show match, uh, where Batista had just started with Evolution, so he was very low on the faking order, so it was a very short squash match, and to my knowledge, there is no footage of this, of that match happening, there is, I cannot find any sort of footage of the Six Flags match. So as of right now, the only available footage of these two facing off against each other is this match right here. And without further ado, let's uh let's get on into it. So uh the video starts up right at the bell so there are no entrances just here. So there's a lock up, no one gains the advantage. Second lock-up, and Leviathan pushes Brock back a step. Third lock-up, uh, Brock does a go-behind, but it's still 13 years too early for Suplex City, so Brock slaps on a headlock instead. Uh, he then gets taken to the aforementioned location via the uh, belly-to-back express. Shoulder block does nothing. Brock cuts off with a kick to the midsection and is whipped into the ropes. Ducks a clothesline, hits a kick of his own and slams Leviathan to the mat. Reversal and Iris whip leads to a Batista, sorry, Leviathan spine buster and Brock is selling the effects as Drax puts the boots in. Brock gets worked over in every corner but reverses a corner whip with a springboard crossbody for two. Leviathan beats Brock down and chokes him in the corner. Brock gets in chest first into the corner and the Leviathan nails bellies a backslam that could have got a reasonable pop it if it had been in his regular arsenal on the main roster I feel. See, so I've only got two here, so he just chin locks Brock so he can attempt to come back, but ends in a sweet-looking DDT. Instead of going for a cover, we just get another chin lock. I'd make a point of saying how that wasted the move, but I'm sure Jim Cornette made sure to say that to them after this match wraps up. So this chin lock goes on for long enough for me to notice Brock has missed the patch on his tan, uh, just sort of under the arms. I'm sure tanning experts will tell you there is a certain way you have to pose in the tanning booth to make sure you get that all-over look. But just because I live in Essex doesn't mean I frequent such places. I know. I'm surprised at myself, too. Uh, clothesline cuts off another led to comeback, followed by one in the corner. Another corner is reversed, and Brock hauls the Guardian into the Galaxy Star over his head, belly-to-belly style. A clothesline, another overhead belly-to-belly followed before Connie Swale gets on the apron, distracting the ref as Lesnar hits a sit-out fireman's carry Michinoku driver, which I hope has a shorter name, because I'd hate to, to call that every week on commentary. Uh, with the distraction, Sin runs in and sprays Brock in the face. With his sight gone, he is fair game to a spear, and that gets the three. Um, so yeah, this was short little match that's sort of up on, on the network for everyone to find. Um to be honest, it's it's nothing great. Uh, a lot of criticism against Brock this time at this sort of time was just wasn't that interesting, especially when he was on defence. I think that's why Cornette put together this this little program to try and make Brock sort of sell more for someone else, which means he'd have to try and, you know, Make the crowd get into it, which which is odd when you think about his career trajectory, and the last thing you think of Brock Lesnar doing anymore is, is selling for anyone um but yeah this is not a bad match it's sort of, you could see like the building blocks of what could have been an, an interesting uh feud had their career trajectories gone sort of in a different direction ten years later, but what what can you do? So, uh what are your guys' thoughts on this?
2: I liked it. I would say it, it was short. It was short and sweet. Um, it was nice to see um, both guys sort of in in the early stages of their career. Yeah, I, I get what you mean about uh, Brock not quite sort of engaging with the fans uh, or engaging with the crowd, but hasn't quite got the that sort of part of his sort of showing away, got gestured to just out to the crowd and things like that. He was very much co- focused in and sort of constant, just concentrating on getting his moves over or getting the spot over. Whereas you can see that um Batista was had had that sort of bit more uh, ring savvy and playing up to the the cameras and such, and had a more rounded sort of character about him. But no, yeah, I, I thought it was really good and. But yeah, and the, the finish is a sort of a classic, sort of Jim Cornette Southern Wrestling type finish of the just double distraction interference type thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, quite quite good. Like I, th- I think it was, it was never going to go sort of 25 minutes, was it? But with those two, but you didn't want you wouldn't want it to either. And I think yeah, the other five six minutes they had was was perfectly fine. It's a nice little showcase for their for their talents as I think most OVW matches were at that time, especially those that were getting close to being being called up I mean what we about a year less than a year away from from that happening and you can see like add six months onto this and yeah Brock becomes what he he does and then yeah Batista's not too far behind also gets called up a very sort of similar amount of time doesn't he Uh,
0: I think yeah Brock gets called up the day after Wrestlemania and Batista gets called up two to three months later He's, he's certainly there sort of April May time, just, yeah. alf, uh, just after the brown split.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty simple big man match. Um, the, the finish didn't shock me. Um, they're probably going to do the match somewhere else in IVW, probably on one of those um, Six Flags shows, Adam, because I think many of them yeah. have the results. Because yeah,
0: they did a no DQ match a few nights after this one. I'm guessing Leviathan won just due to the fact he only ever got pinned twice: once by Kane and once by uh, the prototype, neither of whom are Brock Lesnar. So,
1: right, okay, there you go. That's exactly all we needed to know. So it was basically the setup for that, and yeah, it would have been on local TV, and maybe it would have intrigued some people to go and see the the match at Six Flags. For me personally. They both looked pretty green, but you could see that there was, you know, shades of. that there was something there in both of them. You can see why WWF saw something in them at the time as well. You know, I could just imagine Vince seeing Brock and Batista at this point. is probably absolutely drooling at the mouth over the size of them. Because they're big old boys. And, um Yeah, it was, um Pretty simple match. Uh, thank you to the lovely listeners for selecting this one this month. You know, could have had a insane luchador flippy 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 match, but you know, you chose this, which is no surprise really. Or well, we could have really gone and watched Jerry Laura beat up a bunch of celebrities, but you know, we got this, and um, I can say I've seen it. That that mm. that's my top praise for it. I saw it and. It happened, and Adam, you, you know Jim Cornet quite well. It was the manager. Was that Stacy Cornet? Uh, yeah, the uh, the haired woman. Here, yeah, that's, that's Stacy Cornet. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I thought so because she was a, certainly wanting to get involved
0: more often than not. In fact, actually, there's um, a funny story Stacy once told me. Um, so there was a so there was an OVW title match that was taped as a dark match on on SmackDown around this time. Um, right. Brock and Shelton against the Disciples of Sin, who uh, Stacy was managing, and but it's just like everyone was a little bit nervous, and you know the only person really playing to the crowd was Sin. And as soon as they got backstage, apparently Jr. yelled at all of them. And was like, yeah, she's the only, you know, one I'm not gonna yell at because she was the only one out there doing their fecking job.
2: <laughs> uh uh yeah, I
0: think that
2: would uh, have been a bit hard. I think Tisa did did, did did do a few a few things. I to be honest, out of the out of the two, he seemed to be um the one clo- closer to, to getting a call up. I know he. As you sort of mentioned, he does with and Brock's obviously he sort of skyrocketed. So you would be interesting to sort of revisit OBW like towards the end of the year and see how quickly Brock has progressed.
0: Well, I don't think Brock's there at the end of the year. Brock, um, basically Brock didn't want to be there in the first place. Um, but yeah, he actually managed to, the last few months of his developmental. He's literally, um, he's Managed to, flag his way back to Minnesota, and he's doing and finishes his training in a barn in Minnesota. So, at the end of the year, you probably won't see a lot of Brock Lesnar. Ah,
2: true.
0: So, uh, did it, did anyone see the comment one of the, someone made about this match on uh, on our Facebook? Uh, apparently, someone took it to heart that they their vote didn't win. I did not Actually, I think someone should ask him uh, what his vote was. But yeah, apparently um, a load of Mark voters voted in in this listeners' match poll. So,
2: uh, well, I mean it is it is two two sort of very recogn- recognizable names. So I, yeah. I'm not surprised at the result, but it equally, I mean yeah, Dilly's um, choice was was, was a fat would have been a fun watch certainly and, and fun to get into. And mine was just a, a, a quick a, a comedy pick that I thought might sort of intrigue enough people just to, just to see, um, yeah, Joe a kind of yeah doing his thing in in Memphis. But, but yeah, I mean, I okay, think people. Uh, it's a, it's just a wee bit of fun, as Big Show would say. And um, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that. The match the one one in all honesty. I, I think that was a good one. Is and I say good to see good to see um two very well known wrestlers in in very much the very early stages of their career. So yeah, maybe maybe something similar like that like that will appear again uh for, for other other sort of stars as well.
0: So, um I I guess uh on to the penultimate match from here. Oh yes, and we are we're kicking it into a high gear. We are going full blood and guts. We are busting out the war games match. So Billy, do you want to do you want to give us some more information on this? Of course, Adam.
1: Yeah, this is um, from a promotion uh, based out in Atlanta, Georgia. It's uh, called NWA Wildside. Wildside was loosely um, WCW. Um, go-to promotion. Um, before the guys made it to Power Plant, they would normally work at NWA Wildside. So guys like Elex Skipper, uh, obviously Air Paris, and AJ Styles, uh, they all frequented uh, NWA Wildside. And Bill Barons, who run the promotion, um, actually had a, held a job in the Power Plant. From the information that I read online about Bill Barons. Um, Bill, these days, is uh, the super agent to wrestlers like AJ Styles and Seth Rollins. So he's uh, a bit like Barry Bloom in that sense, as in he's great at screwing promoters over. So good for you, Bill. So, yeah, um, this match was a War Games match um, held in the NWA Wildside promotion. Um, It was held in a small building. It holds roughly about 200 people would have had trouble seeing those 200 people because it wasn't exactly well lit. And I'll come back to uh, what Adam said earlier, you know, um, it's not particularly the mic for this show wasn't particularly great. But we're going to have to expect that going forward. But the match was obviously a War Games match. It uh, featured um, Jeff Bailey's team of suicidal tendencies. They are Freesome, and uh, that's Adam Jacobs, who's the NWA Wildside television champion, Jason Cross, and John Phoenix, as they teamed with Prince Justice. Uh, You'll probably become quite familiar with Prince Justice in a couple of years as he would go on to play The Monster Abyss in TNA. Uh, they would be taking on the team of AJ Styles, Air Paris, Odex, and Stone Mountain. And uh, if you were able to make the NWA Wildside Heavyweight Champion of Prince Justice submit, you would become the new NWA Wildside Heavyweight Champion. So before the match uh, beyond can start, Jeff Bailey uh, makes his way out to the ring along with NWA Wildside owner Bill Barron's for the customary flip coin, uh, coin flip. And uh, obviously, the hills win win that because you're not going to have your baby faces go over in the coin flip unless your name's Vince Russo and you're booking TNA. So out first is uh, AJ Styles, and he's joined by Adam Jacobs. Uh, Adam Jacobs immediately goes to work on AJ Styles. Um, and stomping on him, and he tries to ram AJ's head into the cage, but AJ cuts him off by blocking it with uh, by blocking it. But Jacobs cuts him off with a boot to the groin. The two go back and forth. AJ launches Jacobs into the steel mesh cage like a lawn dart, and uh, AJ drives um, Jacobs into the cage mesh over and over. And within the first couple of minutes. Of course, Jacobs is busted wide open. Uh, Jacobs battles back, and he tries to climb out over the top of the cage. I don't know why he was trying to do that, considering he can't escape to win this thing, but maybe he was just trying to do a, a move off the top rope. It made very little sense for me to for them to be doing that at this point in the match, but they were all trying to get their shit in as much as possible early on. A big German suplex from AJ to Jacobs. Jacobs then nails him with a big roundhouse kick. Eric Bischoff would certainly be proud of that. A scoop slam by AJ who goes up top, up to the top rope and comes off with a 450 but Jacobs is able to move out of the way. Jacobs gives AJ a scoop slam, goes up top and nails AJ with a moonsault. So they've already started flying about all over the place already, barely three minutes into the match. Jacobs then follows it up with a drop kick. Jacob heads up top yet again goes for a spug, frog splash but AJ moves out of the way both men go back and forth then Jacob hits AJ with a suicide driver as the NWA Wildside heavyweight champion Prince Justice stomps out to the ring back in the ring AJ nails Jacobs with a discus lariat then Justice and then he meets Justice at the door drop kicking the big man in the process, Justice the Fresher Man grabs AJ and power bombs him and begins to choke AJ. Justice works over AJ, but AJ pulls out the head scissors from out of nowhere, onto Justice, and but that just stuns the champ as Jacobs attacks AJ from behind. And of course now the Hills have two on one advantage because that's how every war games play match plays out. Uh, Justice drops AJ with a suplex, then throws AJ over over and over again into the cage. Out next is Onyx, who immediately squares up to the monster and power slams him. Onyx is like a house on fire, tearing through Justice and Jacobs, but eventually Justice takes over Onyx as Jacobs works over AJ in the corner. Uh, Jason Cross is out next. Now it's three on two. Particularly, the Hills have the advantage. Not a lot happens until Cross nails AJ Styles with his own Styles Clash. Somehow, babyfaces make a comeback before Air Paris, who is out next, arrives in the ring, which made little no sense. Shouldn't the Hills be beaten down? The babyfaces, considering they have the advantage. Anyway, Air Paris is out, and he uh. Steals a steel chair from one of the fans and uh, takes it into the into the cage and takes on the heel trio of Jacobs, Prince, and Cross and nails them with the chair. Of course, uh, he then takes out Jason Cross with a burning hammer as Justice begins to bleed. That's another man bleeding. AJ nails Jacobs with a Styles Clash. Cross heads up top but misses a Shooting style leg drop. On Paris as Justice throws AJ up onto the top of the cage, which was a pretty impressive spot. I know the cage wasn't exactly huge or anything, but he did like just pick AJ Styles up and threw AJ into the cage, and he was like on top of the cage. I, I, I thought that was pretty good. The cage begins to sag, which, because of course it does, is independent wrestling. As uh, Justice heads up top. AJ somehow is able to pull off a Sunset Flip powerbomb onto Justice as Justice falls hard onto the chair. All three babyfaces apply a submission to the champ, which was kind of pointless considering they can't win the match at this point yet. The final entrance for the Hill team is John Phoenix, who takes out Nobody because John Phoenix is a nobody. Sorry, John, if you're listening, I didn't mean to be mean. (laughs) There is so much going on that the action is hard to follow at this point. Uh, it's a little bit congested in the ring, and there seems to be an awful lot going on. Uh, far too much, in, in my opinion. There should have been more selling. But hey, this is NWA Wildside. We don't need selling here. There isn't much room in the ring for these seven men, but there is an eight man yet to join the action. Why at this point some of the hills are applying submission holds, when the match can't officially end yet is beyond me. I know they kept teasing this mystery final entrance for the babyface team, but you still can't win. So why are they going for submissions? That made no sense. Uh, Jacob does the silliest spot in history as he heads up top of the cage, comes flying off with a leg drop, but misses his intended target and falls on his ass um, directly onto the hard canvas. Probably not a good idea. Have you watched that Johnny the Bull match where he tears his throat? In? The final entrance is a surprise because, of course, he is, and it's Stone Mountain, who has taken out, who was taken out by uh, Prince Justice and suicidal tendencies a few months ago, and it's just as big as Justice, but rather strangely, he turns on Baron's babyface team. The commentary team scream, why Stone Mountain, why? The crowd chants bullshit. Stone Mountain and Justice embrace in the middle of the ring. Then take out AJ and Paris with a pair of sit-down power bombs. Hills do lots of posing and bragging as they beat down Onyx, Paris and AJ. Jeff Bailey grabs the microphone and asks Mountain and Justice to break their backs with a pair of bear hugs. Hold on a minute, they just did more devastating power bombs and then asking them to to do these silly little um, silly little bear hugs. But again, I, I didn't make no sense. The locker room heads out, but all the hills knock them off the cage as the hills work over AJ, Paris and Onyx. Some more. Justice supplies a Boston crab to Paris and Paris, who is already dead, and is out, is declared by the referee as he's submitted and the match is ended. Afterwards, Justice, Bailey, Stone Mountain and Suicidal Tendencies declare no one in the wrestling world can stop them. And that's the end of that match. So, yeah, um, it wasn't a match. So, I first discovered NWA Wildside like in 2004 on the Wrestling Channel. I was quite surprised with the action that they put out. So I was actually quite looking forward to going back and watching some NWA Worldside, because obviously I knew, doing a part of this project, I would try to look at the bigger matches. But this was a... Let's be honest, it was a fucking mess. And uh, everyone was trying to get their shit in early on. There was too much going on. Uh, Why people were applying submission holds and trying to make other wrestlers submit when the match not end until the final entrant come in and then you had Stone Mountain who had been taken out by the hills. He just came in to save the baby faces and then suddenly turned on the baby faces and become a hill. <sighs> I didn't like it. Um, I'm definitely not going to be picking another War Games match from NWA Worldside anytime soon. But yeah, good for... Uh, NWA Wildside you know, going forward, they produce um, many talented workers, and um, yeah, um, looking forward to seeing what they can produce in the future. So, uh, Adam and uh, Dan, what, what do you guys think?
0: Yeah, so I, I remember uh, discovered NWA Wildside around the same time I discovered uh, NWA TNA. Uh, you know, sort of, it's weird. 'Cause you could actually it was a lot easier twenty um eighteen years ago, nineteen years ago to discover their stuff online than it is now. So um I'd say I'm glad i found this match. Um I think that's might be stretching it a bit. Um what is it about this project where I seem to get stuck covering the really messed up war games match? No Rory, I still haven't to, uh, forgotten you made me cover three months at WCW in nineteen ninety eight. Um I mean obviously this match is not a patch on that war games in name only match that I had to cover with the triple threat of uh Piper Page and the Warrior against the Wolfpack against the NFL. i but no that I'm I'm not gonna dwell on that too much. Um but they mentioned that, that the partner who was being replaced was, was David Flair, because he'd been picked up by the WWF. Around this time, the WWF had made a lot of cuts in their developmental They cut. Names like Spanky, Brian Danielson, Sylvester Turcay, uh, Christian York, Joey Mercury, and several other names of that sort of caliber on the indies. And they quite happily scooped up David Flair I'm not saying that their priorities are skewed but their priorities are skewed um, but in doing that uh, the guy they got us to replace David Flair was a- an improvement and I could have said that without having watched the match because it's David Flair Uh I mean yeah the, this match has some, some really good spots I've As you mentioned, Billy, I can watching this match. I can see why traditional war games matches have two rings because after about halfway, the ring fills up so quickly, and you do and having that extra ring gives you that extra space because otherwise it really did towards the end. It really did start to look quite clustered, didn't it? Um, I mean, the screwy finish is. And it's, it's not the worst finish they could have come up with. Um, I mean, the match itself was right. Uh, I'm quite impressed the crowd was quite good because this followed straight on. Oh, I say straight on from a ladder match. Uh, putting that cage up would have, would have taken some time and there was some promos from, uh, beforehand and you know what, I'm not sure there's one thing I'm not sure about. Right at the start they sort of mention how it's always the the ones who are it's always the rule breakers who always seem to win win the coin toss. They, they the commentary team actually mentioned that. I'm not sure whether that's the best thing they could have said or the worst thing they could have said because it's one of those things that every that you you do pick up on eventually. There's even a joke I've heard going around that J J. Dillon is undefeated in in coin toss situations <laughs> I think I think I heard like JR or someone Say that once um, But yeah I mean it's one of those things with, You know You can't really have the faces win Because you know The whole story Kind of goes out the window if, if the faces Always have the advantage Because you know You don't really need to cheer From them because they have very you know, they don't. Uh, um but yeah, no, it's it's really cool sort of seeing a couple of guys who you know, and seeing a young AJ and seeing a, a young uh a young abyss and seeing what happened to Air Paris with after W T W folded and I've no idea who the rest of these guys are, so I'm gonna stop there. Don't
1: worry, there'll be on NWA TNA episodes coming up (laughs) next year.
0: Uh, It's been a while since I've seen some of those early pay per views, so Uh, I actually say saying that. No, I do vaguely remember Jason Cross. I think I saw him at an IPW event about ten years ago Uh, because I do remember the Shooting Star leg drop he he tried, and yeah, I think I mean. There are certain moves in time that the wrestling should just sort of phase out. The flying headbutt is one. Well. I think even Hulk Hogan would agree that the leg drop is probably not a good, a good move if you're planning on doing it long term. Especially with that many revolutions, you are just opening yourself up to, to more injuries than it's, then it's really worth. Um, I, I mean, I'm not a fan of, of putting a, a singles title in a, on the line in a tag match more often than not. And the same stands here. I don't think it re- really, really needs. I mean, I don't know too much about the background here. I'm sure Billy, you, you, maybe you can fill me in better, but I don't feel that, cause I believe there was like a, wasn't there something about who got control of, of NWA wild type also on the line here? Did I hear uh, that yeah. one?
1: Yeah. So Jeff Bailey would basically, own NWA Wildside although you know in the storyline he would yes and um, going forward obviously the Hill team will be running NWA Wildside because NWA Wildside have again local television in Atlanta and uh, so they run on a week to week
0: basis as well so yeah it just didn't seem necessary to have the title on the line there because uh, yes, again, right. but that's just a personal preference of I believe single titles should be defended in single matches um, more, more often than not And triple threat matches should jump off a cliff But that's <laughs> moving away from the point, I think For um uh, I,
2: I, I like... Um... War Games matches, I think they're always, always fun and always, always the go-to, but um, they are kind of hampered by how you've got, you book kind of, he you kind of have the advantage, that's kind of, almost kind of the point of them in a way. So yes. it's always going to go that way. And um, the, the finish with the the surprise or the last the last face turning heel, it, this wasn't full ball 97, it wasn't Hennig turning on the horseman. <laughs> Oh, it, it it was not that. I mean, it was. I guess you could argue that's probably where they're taking it from, or something like that. But but no, it didn't didn't quite work. And yeah, one one ring for all games doesn't, especially when it's going to be an, an indie ring that's going to be not much more than a WWF ring. So having ten guys in the ring, anyways can be a, a bit of a mess. When a couple of those guys are pretty big as well, and and stuff so yeah you do to do war games properly you do need to have two rings I I think I've seen a couple of others do it in, in one ring it, it just doesn't doesn't feel right when it's I mean probably for me to be a strictist and saying it has to be two rings and it has to be this way and that and that but that's what I'm used to that's the those are the war games I've seen those are war games that I've liked so yeah I mean to to go against that would you know, no indie, no indie company is really going to be able to have two rings Really, they're not going to want to do that are they to so A have the extra cost of another ring and B to lose all the ticket seats or losing that floor space so you'd argue why would you do a, a war game match first. so it's a case of if WWF aren't doing it then why don't we do it instead so I get the idea behind it. I get why you would do it and the, the booking of it was yeah it was it made sense I suppose to, to a point um it w- it was fine there were a few spots there and stuff that were that were that was good and I used say it's good to see um a j and abyss sort of before they became what what they became especially abyss as well who had sort of definitely sort of a, a big change in the, in his look and stuff whereas a j barring the the length of his hair has barely aged a day it seems, which is sort of painful and a, very envious of in in both doses there. But, um, but yeah, thanks for picking this one. It was good to see a, a different type of match than just the ones we, we've been picking, one on one or tag match and stuff. And I see a, a gimmick a gimmick match, all every month or so. So yeah, in, I enjoyed it. But yeah, there was there's definitely a few holes in it and stuff.
0: Well, it's time for our main events of the evening then. Um, and so to finish us off for this evening, it's, it's myself and my choice for the main event for tonight. It features one of the greatest wrestlers who ever lived taking part to, as a referee in a match featuring another one of the greatest wrestlers who ever lived against a guy who is arguably his equal as well. So we have, we have the American Dragon. Ryan Danielson taking on low-key with the dragon himself, Ricky Steamboat, as the special guest referee. So this is taking part um, in a show from the East Coast Wrestling Association, who is uh, a little indie up in the northeast there. They've been running since since the mid-90s. You may Know of them due to the fact they have uh, an annual cruiserweight tournament that's been running running since the late '90s called the Super Eights. And in fact, this year in 2001, these two actually uh, Loki and, and Danielson they actually paired off in the final of that of that time, of that tournament, and uh, we saw Loki pick up the victory. At the time of all this happening, these two were the ECWA tag team champions. They would hold that title for a few more months until some convoluted setup meant that despite the fact they won a match, uh, because Brian Danielson wasn't legal man when he got the pin, uh, the title, uh, the bloke, he could then choose a new Partner or something. It's an incredibly stupid and convoluted thing that is that almost makes me have flashbacks to uh, to Halloween Havoc nineteen ninety eight. Because no, Rory, I won't let that lie. Um, But yeah, so so if you go on YouTube, there's currently there's two clips of this. One is the one that I've shared on the wrestling 20 years ago website, which is the half hour video, which includes, uh, the tribute video at the start to Ricky Steamboat. Uh, the ECWA actually have a version on their own YouTube site, which is a uh, 10 minutes shorter. It, to avoid any, uh, any copyright claims, they've literally just gone bell to bell. So you don't have any of the introductions. You don't have, have the music, so they don't have to worry about the rights. Um, or any copyright claims, uh, from the fed against using the tribute video at the start, which is, uh, which actually, which is a shame because, uh, the video that, that I've put up there, although it does show the tribute video, it shows it from the perspective of someone filming it, of camera filming it in the arena, which, you know, you get the crowd's reaction, but it also means, again, the audio is kind of, Echoey. You can't hear it as well as, as you'd like. Also, uh, pictures of quality just isn't a shot. Um, when the ECWA put it up on their, their website, they sweetened up the video, they, and they made the audio the, uh, the best quality they probably could. But still, so the video I, I, uh, I'm going from does have the tribute video and, you know, it's just sort of, a little look back, focusing mostly on the WrestleMania 3, but also brings up some of the stuff he did for the NWA, you know, from his battle with his like, Harley race uh, all the way to his uh, trilogy with, with Ric Flair over the NWA title. And so Ricky comes out, and as he goes around shaking hands with all the people in the front row, the thing that really jumps out at me is just how diverse the crowd are in terms of sort of age and and gender compared to most of the matches we tend to cover. I mentioned in the FWA title how most how nearly all the crowd in that seem to be male. Here there, there is a good mix of people and a good mix of ages as well. Um, I mean, let's be honest. The eighteen to thirty demo may get the best may get the best advertising rate when you're when you're on T V, but there's a lot to be said for allowing your product to be sort of cross generational boundaries. I mean I know this is hard to believe. But people over thirty five have disposable income as well. So uh, uh as Brian Danielson comes out first, uh one really odd thing I notice is that he's not coming out to Europe for final countdown. Um which is we I've which is weird. I've not seen loads of Brian Danielson's indie stuff, but that's the theme music I always associate with
1: him. He doesn't start using that until he brings the Ring of Honor title in
0: 2005. But yeah, so uh, Loki comes out second, um, both of them carrying their ECWA tag titles. Um, but yeah. In the ring, steamboat does uh, the pre-match inspection and gives instructions, and is already looking like he's going to be a better referee than Dean Kaninsky was at the original Starcade. <laughs> so they start by circling at each other, throwing in some kicks. Uh, they lock up, they go into the corner, come out the corner, into the opposite corner, back out the corner again. Then they roll around the, the ring ropes, touching each of the corners. All of this without breaking the lock up. Uh, Steamboat eventually calls for the break after they finally, uh, stall in one of the corners. And, you know, it's a simple spot and I think that would look great in a horse fight. Um, I mean, Batista and, uh, Lesnar did something similar in their match, but if they'd have done, if they'd have done this spot, uh, maybe they did in one of their other matches. I, I think that would really sort of establish them as sort of being on equal grounds. Um and, you know, because it's something you don't see very often. The crowd was actually, was actually a little bit into it. And it doesn't take a, a lot. It doesn't sort of blow you up because, you know, all you're doing is just walking around. It's, it's one of those things that looks simple but is really effective. Um, so it starts circling again. And Loki kicks Danielson in the head as he goes for a single leg takedown, causing him to powder to the outside back on the inside Danielson takes Loki down with a rear waist lock and they do some straight chain wrestling on the mat. Uh Brian tries to bridge out of a knuckle lock pin and Loki just kicks his leg out. Uh they fight back up and Danielson tries to throw Loki off the knuckle lock but Loki just twists him to the outside. 20 years later it's refreshing not to see Loki going for a dive just here. I'm just saying um you know you can't you don't need to dive in every match and I'm not sure, we, uh, I don't think we had one once in this show, which is mind-blowing, having watched some uh, some of the recent TVs. So, uh, back in, Loki blocks another waistlock with a wristlock, and they trade a couple of chain counters, uh, Brian elbows out of a hammerlock, and he, they then dodge each other's uh, running attacks. Uh Loki then uses an armbar takedown, but before he can properly lock it in, Danielson grabs the ropes. Uh Steamboat lays in the count as Danielson sort of stalls, getting out the ropes. Back in the centre of the ring. Uh Danielson breaks a test of strength with a Greco Romo kick to the guts, Uh and he beats Loki back into the ropes, only for a whip to be reversed, and Loki hits a flapjack into a pair of knees to the face. The crowd start picking up here as Loki obviously Obviously the face here, Danielson is really softly playing the heel. So Loki goes for a three-kick combo, and that leads to the first cover of the match for two. Uh, Loki lays some chops in not on the corner before whipping to the opposite buckle. Uh, a basement dropkick cuts off, uh, Loki's attention, his somersault kick, and as someone has had a broken wrist apart. I felt all that impact through the CV screen. Uh, Danielson here starts working over his wrist with various holds, including including this uh, cool-looking sort of reverse-style crossface uh, that he breaks after Loki keeps reversing it into a roll-up for a two. Some more kicks to the arm follows as Danielson locks on another submission that Loki breaks with a kick to the back of the head, so Danielson (laughs) kicks him right back. Danielson works over Loki in the rope before being forced to break a choke. Uh, Danielson goes back to the wrist locks, which Loki reverses by hitting springboard off the top rope into a schoolboy for two. Danielson responds by booting him right in the chest with the impact of just about every Hulk Hogan big boot I've ever seen combined. Mm. Uh, Danielson transitions from a wrist lock to a belly-to-back suplex for a two. Uh, they start trading chops while Loki is in another wrist lock until Danielson uh, just throws him for a two and transitions into a really nice-looking cross-arm breaker. Uh, Loki gets out after three kicks to the head, but is unable to capitalize. Before, uh, Dragon has sort of a Cobra clutch slaps on him. So Loki fights out but is unable to capitalize until Brian goes for a second belly to back suplex, which Loki reverses into a two count. Uh, Danielson tries kicking away at Loki before, uh, so he just throws him into the ropes where Loki ducks the rest of his kicks before hitting a tidal kick of his own. Uh, the person who sold that best might actually be Ricky Seambo. Nothing against the other two, but just a look on his face, so that when Loki sprung off the ropes there. So, close beats 10 counts to get back up, and Loki now is a clothesline after ducking what, before kicking Danielson in the corner. Uh, Loki hits a corner charge, but both are really sucking wind here. A uh, second corner charge gets Loki dumped onto the apron, where Danielson slaps on the Cobra clutch, in probably the most in probably the most dangerous looking spot of the match, Loki reverses the cobra clutch on the apron by just flipping Danielson straight out the ring onto the floor. Uh Steamboat sort of lays the double count out, but but I don't think he's in any hurry. He doesn't look like he wants this match to end that way and I can't blame him. I don't think anyone else does either. So both men slowly crawl up on the apron to break the spot and then they battle their way into the top of the turnbuckle where Loki busts out his dragon sleeper in the sort of tree of way position, um, and somehow that really doesn't come across as too convoluted. I'm for a spot like that; it, it does, does quite surprise me. Um, so Loki gets a two count. They then start trading strikes, and Danielson comes out on top. I guess he really is the best in the world. Uh, as they start to get up, they trade off with JYD style headbutts, which pops some guy in the crowd quite quite badly, um, before I start trading more strikes, which uh, builds to Loki hitting a key crusher, but he takes a little too long to get to the cover cover, so he only gets a two count on it. Um, another bracken sleep attempt to see Brian gets to the ropes. Uh, Loki goes for another key crusher but Brian reverses it into a four nails and it's broken up with a spin kit. But Brian ducks and is then counted into a German suplex that Brian then transitions beautifully into a dragon suplex for two. Danielson signals that that's it and Loki and sits Loki on the top for a dragon suplex off the top, but Loki elbows him out and Brian Danielson manages to the fall to land perfectly for the twisting central move from Loki. Um, Loki then boots him in the face over and over again but can only get a two each time. Loki lines up for one more big boot to the face, but Danielson manages to trap him in the cattle mutilation and after nearly 20 minutes of some heart-hitting action, Loki passes out. Steamboat helps both guys up, and the crowd are really cheering for both. Loki accepts a handshake from Brian, and both of them pose there, both holding up the tag titles high. Well, I took this match sight unseen, and I really should have thought about that when I realized I was going to have to type up the play- play-by-play for it, but that was a great match from these two. I think you'll all agree.
1: I'd certainly agree on that one, Adam. Um, One of those matches that you heard a lot about at the time, especially on the forums and everything, everyone was going on about it. And uh, I did look for it in the early days of YouTube, but I sort of gave up about ten years ago. And I remember when you um, sent me a message saying that you had found it and everything, and I was like, damn, you know, he's actually found it. So... I went out my way to watch it, and it lived up to its expectations. Exactly what I expected from it. Looking at Loki at this time, he's at the height of his powers on the independent scene. It's only going to get a lot better from Loki going forward, um, especially in UCW, uh, which will come to later on. And then with Ring of Honor going forward, uh, Zero One coming up as well. Uh, Obviously... We all all know Brian Danielson's, Daniel Bryan's story. We're all very familiar with how it's gone for him. So so to be actually finally able to sit down and watch this match this month, and, you know, I was shocked that that, uh, Ricky Steamboat was involved in it because he actually does quite a few indie shots over the next few years where he'll be uh, a referee and quite a few monumental you know, history-making uh, independent matches. And this is another one of them. And uh, it, it was a great find, and especially main event-worthy for this show, anyway. And, um, yeah, um, at long last, I've, I've been able to see it. And um, I was as happy as Larry when you uh, decided to pick this one. And uh, I think this would be Loki's second Match on
0: the on the podcast. And, yeah, I uh, did. I did a, I did a low key match last month. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, and, and next month I'm planning on doing a low-key match. So, it's look like it's going to be a three in a row for Loki.
2: Um... <laughs> uh, but first, first off, Adam, well done on covering the play by play for that because that was that was more than a match and a half. It's, it's so uh, a lot to get in, a lot to cover, and uh, you got through that really well so well done on on, on that uh, side of things but yes, yeah, and thanks for, for finding and picking it unlike unlike you both I wasn't aware of this match I, I probably could have guessed that this match would have happened at some point but when you put it in that you shared it with us uh, and I was so sort of joyed because I knew I'd, I'd have a good a good 20 minutes of just sort of pure almost no nonsense wrestling and that's exactly what it was. It was entertaining all, all throughout, and uh, Rick, having Ricky Stewert in there as the as the referee was was more than the item on the cake. It, he really was the added ingredient to that match that made it sort of do it a bit more gravitas and stuff. And I think that's why, as you sort of alluded to, to Billy, that's why he's used in these uh, monumental sort of title matches for, for the next few years. But as we if if we covered like, in in TNA and other places, other places like that, he's used as the, he's, like, the kind of seen as, like, the, the referee beyond that, whatever promotion he's in, normal referees, he's sort of seen as, like, well, he's the one who's always been, he's always been a, a face, always been a good guy, so he's going to call it right down the middle, and he, whatever he says goes, and no one will argue with that. And, yeah, I think he was a, a great added element to, to this match so yeah well done to to all three on that for that match because yeah enjoyed it throughout and and um yeah nothing nothing more to say that you two haven't already, already said really just uh, yeah looking forward to seeing uh another Loki match next month and yeah maybe we'll see something more from uh the American dragon as well and also um, see Ricky Steamboat again as well I
0: mean I think I think another Sort of facts that we've not. I mean, I mentioned it earlier on on the show is that this would be just after uh, Danielson received his WWF release. Um, he was in the developmental at the time, and so you know, do, do we think that maybe he's he's sort of just trying to show them what what they've missed here? I mean, because yeah. let's be honest, he, most of his matches are, are pretty much always top notch, but but do we think that? Maybe there was just a little extra something behind the, put, the putting together this one?
2: Possibly, yeah. Possibly a bit of a, a point to prove kind of, kind of thing. And, and I'm sure uh, Loki was more than happy to oblige him in, in, in doing that. That's why we got the match we got. Yeah, really good. And yeah, you can see there was a different, uh, the, the passion was there for, from everyone.
0: Right, so, uh, so I guess we've, we've all had our say on, say on the matches for this month. Uh, well, I, I guess that's that's all that's left to say is, um, any, if anyone who's listening right now that you can have your say on, on the sort of matches, uh, we include on these shows every month, we do do a listeners, Choice match. One of us will pick a, uh, will pick a match to throw out there on the Twitter polls. Uh, so you can all, all vote in that. In fact, if you have any other suggestions, hey, feel free to contact us. We have got the Twitters. We're on, uh, Indie Rest 20 YRS, uh, on Twitter. You can contact us, uh, via the main, uh, 20 YRS Facebook page. That's wrestling 20 years ago. Uh, we are looking to, I'm really trying to sort of build that back up at the minute. It's, uh, you know, it, it's sort of kind of tapered off following WrestleMania this year. So, uh, we're really trying to sort of make that sort of a hub for, for retro wrestling stuff. So you'll be seeing stuff coming up there every few days. Um, and of course, if you're listening to this shortly after it's dropped, uh, you can even vote on what your favourite match that we covered uh, this month was, as uh, shortly on, on the Twitter we'll be giving you the option of voting for what you thought the best match was. Um, I believe we do that. Uh, Billy, you're in charge of that. so will be up for, what, like a week or so? Uh,
1: yeah, it's normally a week after the episode drops, so a date will be... Well, it's shortly, but a date will be confirmed. <laughs> But follow the account,
0: and I will let you know. <laughs> yep. Um, obviously, you know, listener ma- voting is not always the best choice. As we mentioned, uh, a snide comment we got on the Facebook page when it was announced that Brock and, and uh, Batista won the listeners' choice. Also, last month, for some reason, everyone seemed to vote Barbarian and Tony Atlas as the best match, which uh, I, <laughs> I, I feel that someone may oh, have been but, twisting the votes a bit there, Billy, but...
3: Me? I Never.
2: It was but, an excellent campaign, and it was a fair fair result, and come, come the end of the year, I, I'm sure we'll see a, an even fairer result.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now I know how Bamba felt when Scott Hall lost out to the End of Year Awards in 1996. Um, but <laughs> On the plus side, no one voted for the death match. So, pros and cons on each side. Ah, um, come on! <laughs> it's a good thing this is an audio podcast because the because um, there's only so much I can roll my eyes at you. So, with that being said, we will be back in about a month's time, bringing you some of the best indie wrestling from August. 2001 and there are some great there's some great stuff out there in August Um, so until then fellas anything to to promote Billy
1: Uh, yeah um, you can follow the Twitter account on the Twitter Uh, so my personal Twitter is at Billy J underscore 83 and yeah just keep listening to this podcast and voting for the matches and yeah, I've got, I've got some fun ones lined up for you next month, Adam. I'm sure you're going to absolutely love it when I drop the the match that I really want you to watch for your comments on Deathmatch Wrestling tonight for
0: next month. Right. Daniel, <laughs> <can> you <laughs> you, you got hey, anything to add?
2: Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Daniel S. Dewitt. Um, in terms of next month, I've had a look at a few things. I've got a few things in mind. I might surprise you with the um, the sort of um, what's how to put it the normalcy of my choices this month, rather than the the out there ones that I've provided the past couple months. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll be a, that urge for me to, to bring you something you didn't want to see. We'll, we'll we'll rear its ugly head, and before before we come to record, I'll put throw it in there and change my mind so there's always that to look out for bit of a bit of Russian roulette on the on the picks for me maybe next month who knows but um, otherwise to say if you haven't already listened to please uh, on on the timeline listen to the uh, WWF July show from 2000 to 2001 with uh, uh, Lacey Yuli and Del going over uh, ECW joining the invasion and the invasion storyline starting off in earnest uh, real fun listen and yeah give that a listen to as well as, as well as this and yeah look out for the polls vote for your vote match of the month and then in a couple of weeks time we'll put our uh next uh people's pick for for august so keep an eye out for that and vote for that as well
0: so yeah um if you want to keep in contact with me i'm on twitter at el underscore j or you can like my facebook page el.j.comedy um so yeah i I mean, I've got some interesting choices coming up uh, on the next show. But this one, it's it's a bit emotional. And as another presenter said before me, goodbye. Let's do the Kurgens Shuffle!